Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave today, this Friday afternoon. Welcome, everybody. We're going to get right into it. I'm sure you've been following the Democrats closely as they start to eat themselves up. Uh, There's an article in today's uh, New York Times talking about a diplomat raising concerns in 2015 about Hunter Biden. Surprise, surprise. We're going to have some clips for you all later that show you the bias in the media you're going to hear amongst others uh, cnn anderson cooper saying there is nothing about the claim against the bidens that has been substantiated or has a basis he calls them entirely unfounded now here's my first Question to you all, rhetorical as it may be, albeit feel free to call in. How is it that during the, what was it, year and a half of the Russia investigation, not once did I hear the press say the Russian investigation, none of which has been substantiated against the president? Because you know what the Mueller report said when it came out? None of it had been substantiated against the president. But not one word of caution by the leftist media. Oh, the Russian investigation is going on. They're looking into ties with the Russians. And Mueller, the savior for the, for the left, for the Democrats, and for the media, said what? Nope. Nothing there. Absolutely nothing there when it comes to a Russian conspiracy and the Trump campaign. That's what they said. That's what Mueller said. Mueller, who was the savior for the Democrats, remember, they were propping him up when the president was criticizing him. Now, during this process, you might recall, I was not heavily criticizing Mueller. I had some problems with some of the people that he appointed on his commission, shall we call it, But I did not criticize Mueller. I said he was generally a straight arrow. And sure enough, what does he come back with? No Russia collusion. But not once did you hear that in the press. Oh, well, they're looking into this Russia collusion. But every time, as if they've all gotten the same talking points, every time you hear them talk about the Bidens, you hear what? There's, this is an unsubstantiated allegation. Anderson Cooper with his distinguished white hair. The, the unsubstantiated accusation against the Bidens. Well, here's the thing. The president and others, mind you, have asked for an investigation to determine whether there is something there. In other words, all Allegations are unsubstantiated until they are confirmed. But don't tell me there's no basis to ask that question. Don't even insinuate that there's no basis to ask that question. 
Biden flies over to the Ukraine on what's sort of inappropriately called Air Force Two with his son in tow. And his son winds up getting a deal to sit on an energy board in the Ukraine, having known nothing about energy, having known nothing about the Ukraine, for $50,000, not a year, folks, $50,000 a month. You know what we say about that kind of pay in Arkansas? It's good money if you can get it. It's good money if you can get it. And how you how do you get it? Through corruption and cronyism. That's how you get it. You heard Hunter Biden say, well, yeah, I suspect that my name had something to do with it, with me getting a job. I suspect that's right. Surprise, surprise. So listen to this from the New York Times. By the way, I said to a conservative friend of mine who said he stopped reading the New York Times. This is a highly educated individual, by the way. So don't say, ah, you know, those conservatives, they don't like to read. They're walking around barefoot. They're all a bunch of deplorables. We know Hillary's thoughts and comments. We know her thoughts because she said them out loud. This is from the New York Times. George Kent, a deputy assistant secretary of state, told impeachment investigators this week that he raised concerns with senior Obama White House official, with a senior Obama White House official in 2015 about the son of the vice president, holding a position on the board of a Ukrainian gas company. Say what? Say what? Did the press cover that? They got a lot of leaks out of the White House. Why is this the first time we're hearing about that? But the warning, says the article from the New York Times, was ignored, according to two people familiar with Mr. Kent's testimony. Ignored! You know, interestingly, what the article doesn't say is not only was it ignored by the leftist Obama administration uh, and the cronyism that went on there. By the way, I'm not suggesting that's rare or unique. It was ignored by the press. Are you telling me nobody in the press was aware of this? Or, or, well, we're not going to get in the way of Joe Biden, good old Uncle Joe. We're not going to ask questions about that, are we? They're all worried when somebody stays in a Trump hotel and Donald's family gets $189.17. Oh, that's that's the end of the world. Clearly, he's doing it for the money. What do they net out of the, out of the 189 or $212 that they get for renting out a room for a night? 70 bucks? 40 bucks? Really? Really? Mr. Kent of the Department's Bureau of European and Eurasian Affairs said he told the official in the Obama administration that Hunter Biden's position could look like a conflict of interest given his father's role and would complicate American efforts to encourage Ukraine to clean up corruption. You think? You think? They're marching around there. Joe Biden says, oh, you see what I did? I went in there and I gave him an ultimatum because I'm a big shot. I'm a big shot with the American people backing up my threats. 
I'm a big shot, and I go to the Ukrainian then president, and I say, you got to fire this prosecutor. Never mind that he's somehow involved in investigating this company that's giving my son a job. Never mind that. That's not what motivates me, because listen to all the mainstream media. Well, other people were saying that the prosecutor should be fired. So therefore, how could you say that Biden had inappropriate motives? Wait. So if other people said... The prosecutor should be fired. Biden is washed of any inappropriate motives. That's what you're telling me? Or that he automatically adopted their reasoning for firing the prosecutor? Or that he could not have had dual motives in his actions? What kind of logic is that? What kind of claim is that? Remember, all along, no caveats when we're talking about the Russia investigation. But here, no, it's impossible. It's impossible that Joe Biden could have acted improperly. Well, you hear George Kent already from what I read you already. You hear what conflict of interest? Of course it is. I teach conflict of interest law. That is, if you are in a position that it looks like you are doing something improper, conflict of interest. If you are a government official, Doing something that looks like it's improper relative to a rel- relative to a relative. That's a conflict of interest. To spell it out a little bit more from my preceding statement. And yet the press said there's nothing there. To- totally unsubstantiated. Well, actually, actually, that's not true. You see, what it is, is it's an allegation with some basis for the allegation. I'm not saying it's confirmed. That's why people were asking for an investigation. What I'm saying is, you have an allegation that's not made up out of thin air. It's not a claim. Hey, you're still beating your wife. Wait, what? Huh? Me? Huh? I never beat wife. What? what are you talking about? No, it's, hey, Joe, did your son go on the plane with you to the Ukraine? Well, yeah. Uh, and when he was there, did he uh, uh, get a job for $50,000 a month? Well, yeah. And at the same time, did you get a certain prosecutor uh, fired because he, uh, well, let's not say because, the certain prosecutor who was involved in investigating the company that ultimately hired your son? Well, yeah. That's not enough. Not to convict. Not to confirm. But to say there's some substantiation of a question of impropriety. That's not enough. Really? Really, Democrats? That's not enough. But all along, for a year and a half, Russia investigation, and not one caveat about it being unsubstantiated until the Mueller report comes out and he says what? Guess what? Unsubstantiated. Unsubstantiated. Going back to the article from the New York Times, but the warning was ignored, according to two people familiar with Mr. Kent's testimony. Mr. Kent, as I said, uh, Department Bureau of European and Eurasian Affairs, said he told the official that Hunter Biden's position would look like a conflict of interest given his father's role and would complicate American efforts to encourage Ukraine to clean up corruption. Why? How do you tell someone to clean up corruption at the same time that your kids getting a cushy deal? being on a board for a company that is in an area of business 
that Hunter has no knowledge of in a country that by that Hunter Biden has no familiarity with. That's why it complicates it, because it inherently looks corrupt. And then you're talking about corruption. You know, when when some third world dictator type comes forward and says, well, you know, we're concerned about corruption. That's usually code word for I need a payoff. That's just a fact. That's how it works in corrupt countries. When they say I'm concerned about corruption and they're a third world dictator, they're often asking for a payoff. So the question becomes, when someone from America says it, it shouldn't look like a payoff. It shouldn't look like corruption. And so if Biden would, uh, Biden Sr., if Joe Biden would say that, that doesn't look like corruption on its face. But then when the son is in tow, looking to get a job for $50,000 a month, starting to look a little third world-ish, doesn't it? Starting to, starting to look a little corrupt and cronyistic, doesn't it? That's the difference. The White House official told, says the article, Mr. Kent, that the elder Mr. Biden did not have the, quote, bandwidth, end quote, silly term, by the way, to address the concerns while his younger son, Beau, was undergoing cancer treatment, according to the people who were not authorized to discuss the private deposition. So so listen to what they're saying. And and it's tragic, right? Uh, Joe Biden's son, uh, Beau, is it Beau? Yeah, Beau died from a brain cancer, absolutely awful. Uh, deal. I've had to deal with a family member uh, dying of cancer, absolutely awful. But what, what does this say? It says basically that the vice president was out of commission. Now, that's possible, and indeed perhaps understandable. The vice president can be out of commission. We have a vice president in case the president's out of commission. So the vice president out of commission and the president's still working? Okay, that's possible. But how is it? That the vice president's out of commission when it comes to analyzing the f- facially questionable behavior of both the vice president and his son, but he's not out of commission when he threatens the prosecutor, or rather threatens the president of the Ukraine to fire the prosecutor, which he did. So it's kind of selective bandwidth, isn't it? Mr. Kent's remarks about the Bidens were first reported by the Washington Post. Mr. Kent also um, cons- uh, expressed concerns about the Trump's administration handling of the Ukraine situation. Why do I tell you that last part? I tell you that last part to say this is not a Trump ally. Nope. He's got criticism for the Trump administration. He's entitled to his view. And he's got criticism for Biden. But I'm not, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, well, George Kent criticized the Bidens, so the Bidens did something wrong. No, 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 no. We, you, I, everybody can make our own decisions as to whether or not Joe and Hunter did something wrong. What I'm saying is 2015, four years ago, this issue was raised, and you heard not one lick about it. Not one word about it in the media. Boy, they kept that thing vault tight didn't they? Or, or just possibly, think about this. The media wasn't interested in going after good old Joe. They weren't interested 
in doing actual investigative journalism. They're interested in politics. Well, good old Joe's on the right side of the politics, according to the mainstream media. So no need to report that. So as we go to break, I want you to think about that. And then we'll come back and talk some more. Russ, let's go to break. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbeck filling in for Dave today, this wonderful Friday afternoon. Did you see the Democratic debates? I couldn't watch the whole thing. I'm sorry. Part of my responsibility, I think, is to watch these things so that I can communicate them to Dave's audience, either when I'm filling in like today for Dave or on my during my normal time on Monday afternoons. I couldn't do it. I could not do it. I had to switch between Fox News and the debates because it was too painful. Elizabeth Warren refused to answer a very simple question. They said to her, are you going to raise taxes for your pie in the sky, Medicare for all, bankrupt the universe program? I added that last part, by the way, folks. And she said, well, the costs are going to go down for the middle class. Excuse me, say what? Say what? Again, are taxes going to go up for the middle class? You know, also, there are several people uh, asked her that question at different times. They did a montage, I think, on Tucker's show. And they showed uh, Chris, I forget the guy from MSNBC with the blonde hair, um, seasoned liberal commentator and he says to her uh, are you going to raise taxes and she says costs are going to go down for the middle class and he goes I didn't ask you that are you going to raise taxes costs are going to do you're not listening to me I have a different question are you going to raise taxes what I'm telling you is cost she wouldn't answer the question now she's telling you the audience here's what you need to know and I won't answer any other questions I know better than you. Sound familiar? Because that's what the liberals like to say. I know better than you. Stop asking questions. Stop trying to peek behind the curtain. I'm going to take care of you. Sound like socialism? Sound like communism? We saw the outcomes of that throughout uh, the middle of the last century, right? We're going to take care of you. Oh, yeah. How'd that work in communist China? How'd that work in Vietnam? How'd that work in the Soviet Union? Oh, I guess they just all got it wrong. But we got it right. We're going to take care of you. Oh, let's look at, uh, let's look at uh, Norway. Uh, those aren't communist socialist countries. Sorry. You can label them all you want. They ain't that. So why doesn't she want to simply answer the question? Because her claim is your taxes will go up. But then, of course, you won't pay for health insurance through your work. And so overall, and you won't pay for deductibles and co-payments and whatever else in the unicorn rainbow land that she lives in, she wants to create. That's fine. And therefore, overall, even though your taxes go up, your overall expenses will go down and therefore costs go down. You can't make those three simple statements. Why? Why? Because... You don't want to tell the truth to the American people. Now, remember, Elizabeth Warren has a pattern of lying to the, to, to the American people and others repeatedly, right? 
She claimed to be an American Indian when she applied for a job, when she got her bar card in Texas, when she started teaching at the University of Texas, when she applied for a job at Harvard. She was listed as a minority. She was hired as a minority. She got special dispensation for being a minority. This is a Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave this Friday afternoon. We were talking about Warren, Elizabeth Warren, and her refusal to simply admit that she wants to raise taxes. And what I said before the commercial break was why, or I asked why, and here's the answer to that question. She doesn't want to tell you that she's raising taxes because then Donald Trump will say, aptly, she's going to raise your taxes. Well, you see, I'm not going to raise taxes as much as I'm going to give you a good deal. How many times have you heard that, though? How many times have you heard from some government bureau hack, you're going to save money, just let me take care of it? Or here's another example. Hey, you get to keep your doctor if you like him. You get to keep your hospital if you like it. And then it turns out not to be true. So bifurcating the question of whether or not your taxes are going up relative to whether or not overall costs are going down is important. Why? Because we aptly don't believe you and we don't trust government. Government, when it grows too large, is dangerous. Look at across the world. When government dominates individuals' lives. That's totalitarianism. That's the definition of totalitarianism. But the Democrats keep telling you, oh, they're benign government. They're good government. What's some of that good government? What about Beto? Beto tells you, oh, we're not going to confiscate your guns, we're just going to take them away. Wait, what? Wait, what? This is the double speak that we get from the left. Heck yeah, I'm going to take away their guns, says Joe Biden. All right. Now we know where you stand. Well, those are weapons of war. Really? Really? What, what military do you know that uses semi-automatic weapons? I'm just curious. What, what what army is that? The army of the crazy thoughts in your head? Because no military uses a semi-automatic weapon. Well, you see, it, it looks like the M4, what most people know is the M16. Yeah, okay, oh, sure enough, I'll grant you that. And a NASCAR car looks a lot like a Chevy that you buy from the dealer. It ain't the same, right? So... These people want to control every element of your life. They want to control your health care. They want to control whether you can defend yourself with a firearm. Oh, well, you don't need that to go hunting. Okay. I don't agree, but okay. But why do you think hunting is the only basis for which someone would want to own a gun legitimately? I think the single best argument to own a gun is self-defense, actually. Hunting is good, but hunting is a sport it generally costs more to hunt than it does to buy meat so you're not doing it to save money now i'm not saying there aren't exceptions to that but generally you're not doing it to save money you do it because you like it fine knock yourself out i just recently bought my arkansas i forgot what the permit it is but it's like it's the permit that's everything hunting fishing everything 
So knock yourself out. You like to do it? Good. But is that the most important reason compared to protecting yourself and your family? I don't think so. By the way, you're entitled to a different opinion. See how freedom of thought actually works? You're allowed to your own opinion. Not according to the Dems. But according to me, yeah, you're, you're entitled to your own opinion. No problem. So I think the single most important reason to own a firearm is for personal defense. Well, you see, we should let the cops take care of that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because the cops can be everywhere all at one time, right? I like the cops. I'm generally pleased with the police. But I don't expect the police to be at my house or where I'm walking at 9 o'clock at night, going to my car, leaving a restaurant or Walmart or whatever, or the school in which I work, no less. Right? So I think the best reason to own a gun is self-defense. Do you have to do it? No! No one's telling you you have to have a gun. But if you want one, should you be entitled to have one? Absolutely. Put aside the Constitution says so. Morally, should you be able to defend yourself or should you subject yourself? Should you kneel to government authority and ask them, beg them, please, please take care of me? Which one sounds more appealing to you? The lefties want the latter. You don't need these weapons. Really? What weapon do I need, by the way? That's my question. When they tell me I don't need, say, an AR-15, and it doesn't mean that I want an AR-15, but how does someone who doesn't know anything about guns tell me what I need in a firearm? If I, and the collective I, if we don't need an AR-15, what do we need? None? Well, then there's your answer, you leftists. Right? You don't want anybody to have guns. Oh, well, no, no, you see, that's not what I meant. Um, well, yes, of course, some, you can have some form of, what, a musket? Musket's not a reasonable gun. Well, you see, when they wrote the Constitution, uh, those were the prevalent guns, so that's what's... Pre- does it say musket, or does it say the right to bear arms? They, they knew the word musket. They could have written the word musket. They wrote the category. Why? Because they're not living in a cave. Because they knew... The technology would change. So they didn't say musket. So that theory's out the window. So what can I carry? What am I allowed to own? What can I keep in my house? I'm asking the leftists if it can't be an AR-15. Well, you see, an AR-15 is particularly dangerous because it has, it carries this shell that goes really fast, yeah, and it's really light. You know why people don't generally hunt deer with an AR-15? I know you folks out there say you can, if you hit it in the head, you had it. They don't generally hunt with an AR-15. Why? It's not powerful enough. It's not powerful enough. It's not that it's too powerful. Well, you read these articles in the New York Times, they get some doctor who's never shot a gun and, and, and sees someone torn up with a bullet and says, well, you see, this is what these bullets do to people. Really? Have you seen someone shot with a thirty caliber? Have you seen someone shot with a thirty oh six, a thirty thirty? Hmm. No. No. Why? 
It's a much more powerful round. And in fact, the 30 caliber rifle shell was the round used by the military before they downsized to the M16. They downsized to the M16. So what you want to do, apparently, is to prohibit the less powerful firearm. Mind you, I concede they all kill humans. But you want to downsize to the less powerful firearm. You want to prevent the downsizing, rather, to the less powerful firearm and mandate that people, if they're going to carry guns, carry a more powerful gun, a more deadly gun. Right? But you see, they haven't thought about that because that's not their goal. Their goal is to prevent you from having firearms one step at a time. And so when they say reasonable gun control, the problem is they're not reasonable gun control advocates. They are incremental gun elimination advocates. That's what they are. One step at a time, they want to eliminate your rights when it comes to guns. You know that Bob Ballinger tried to pass a modest bill. Stand your ground. Now, before you start pulling out your hair and your face starts melting, you lefties, what does stand, stand your ground say? It says, if you're confronted by a bad guy, and that's got to be established, you're confronted by a bad guy, a guy threatening your well-being, and you're allowed, under the law, to use deadly force. Again, that's got to be established. But you have an opportunity to run away. You must run away if we don't pass stand your ground. Meaning the current law is you must run away even though you have a right to use deadly force and you're in a place that you're allowed to be. But since you can run away, you must run away. Now, if running away is a safer move and I know it, I'm going to choose it. I'm going to choose whatever maximizes my opportunity for life. But if I make the rational decision that I'm better off not running away, and some jury second guesses me and says, well, you should have run away because the law says you got to run away if you can, and we think you could have, you go to jail. No dispute that your life was threatened. No dispute that it was threatened by someone who was in the wrong. No dispute that you were in a public place or even private place where you're allowed to be. But because you chose not to run away and some jury decided you could have run away, you go to jail. So Bob Ballinger said, hey, here's a funny thing. If you're in a place that you're allowed to be and somebody comes up and threatens your well-being in a fashion in which you would allow, be allowed to use deadly force. You're allowed to use deadly force! You don't have to then sit back, smoke a pipe, and determine whether or not you're going to run away! And his bill failed by one vote. You might think, wait, wait a second, we don't have that many Democrats on the Judiciary Committee or any other committee. Our legislature's 75% Republican. So how did it lose? You might wonder. Do you know the answer? Because Chuck, not Chuck Cooper, um, John Cooper. John Cooper voted against it. John Cooper, up there in Jonesboro, who claims to be a Republican, who said 
that he was going to vote against Obamacare. That was his big campaign issue when he ran last time for state senate. I've got the flyer. Vote for me. I'm voting against Obamacare. First thing he did, voted for Obamacare. And now what did he do? He voted against your safety. He voted against your safety. He's allied himself with that anti-gun group, the Moms for Action or whatever it is. They're nice people. They're anti-gun. Here's the thing. You can be a nice person, be anti-gun. But I'm not interested in people enacting policy who are anti-gun. Because I believe the best way to defend yourself, if you want to, is by owning a gun. It's that simple. So now, guess what? Cooper's running again in the primary, as he did last time. And who's he running against? Do you know? Dan Sullivan. Same person he ran against last time. But last time, Dan Sullivan said, I think I'm going to vote against Obamacare, but I don't know enough about it to give you a definitive answer. I would like to be better informed. Because Dan Sullivan's a thinking man. And sure enough, he did vote against Obamacare. So he did what Cooper said he was going to do, but didn't. And Dan Sullivan supports Stand Your Ground, as any good conservative would. Any good conservative. Cooper's free to vote against Stand Your Ground, but let's just be candid. He's a lefty, dressed up as a Republican. That's all right. You can be a lefty. Just don't do it in sheep's clothing. Just don't pretend to be a conservative. These are lefty policies, one after another. Obamacare, anti-gun. I'm not interested. And I believe, frankly, neither are the people, rather, of Jonesboro. So, this is what we have to decide. What do we want in this state and what do we want in this country? We've got the national election coming up. So on that thought, I'm going to go to break. I'm going to let Russ bring us to break and then we'll come back and we'll move on. This is Dave Ellswick's show. I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave on this Friday afternoon. So we're talking about the Democratic debates. Tulsi Gabbard made an interesting revelation during that debate. CNN and the New York Times... And I just heard on the radio today, add to that, Hillary Clinton, call her a Russian agent. A Russian, now look, here's the thing about Tulsi Gabbard. I don't agree with her. I don't agree with most of the Dems on most of the things. And I don't agree with Tulsi Gabbard on her, shall we say, what I feel is excessively isolationist viewpoint. All right. I'm allowed to. And she's allowed to disagree with me. She's allowed to be more isolationist. She was in the military. She tells you that uh, often enough, but not in too braggy a way. But her point is she doesn't think all of these, as she describes, regime change wars are worth it. Okay. Okay, she's free to have that opinion. That makes her a Russian agent? Really? Hillary was calling Jill Stein a Russian agent. Really? The Green Party candidate 
she's a doctor, I think I think an OBGYN, I'm not sure, who had a bunch of kooky leftist Green Party ideas, and she's a Russian agent. I don't think Hillary is able to look out the window and not see a Russian agent because of the fact that she, Hillary, lost the election. Hillary lost the election because she was a lousy, lousy candidate. As demonstrated, for amongst other reasons, when she said that half of the people that are going to vote for President Trump are deplorable. Hey, hey deplorables, come vote for me, Hillary. Wait, what? Because that's what she was saying. Hey, you guys are awful, come vote for me. Mm, No thanks. Here's a crazy idea. Uh, No thanks. I'm not interested. As she always did, as she sat there with that kind of smug smirk, Telling you she knew better. Now, if you think about it, contrast Elizabeth Warren with my favorite amongst the Democratic candidates. And mind you, I'm not saying I like her policies. Amy Klobuchar. Elizabeth Warren has that same leftist snarkiness. The left doesn't know how to get away from snarkiness. They're sarcastic, they know better, and they're going to tell you that they know better. So during the debate, Elizabeth Warren, uh, when criticized by Amy Klobuchar, says, well, I understand these things are difficult, these things are hard. Really? Why don't don't you just on the stage, Warren, call Klobuchar an idiot? Well, I know you're an idiot, so you can't understand these things. And Klobuchar aptly pushed back. She's not snarky. She's not sarcastic, you know, in part because she's not one of these effete coastal leftists. I come from the coast. I know what effete coastal leftists look like. And Klobuchar ain't one. She doesn't come off snarky and sarcastic. But Warren does. I'm not going to tell you if your taxes are going to be raised because I know better. You're going to oppose me on these various things. So you're going to, uh, uh, I'm going to tell you why you're an idiot. That's what's going on. So Warren is, in some respects, Hillary 2.0. Hey, I'm not complaining. I don't want the lefties to win. I'm supporting Donald Trump. You know that. So maybe having Warren as the nominee, and by the way, I think Warren's going to be the nominee. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the best thing for us. I actually think Biden would be better for the for the Republicans because he's entirely incoherent. We're going to play some tape of him later in the show. He's entirely incoherent. That's I think the easiest person to beat. But I think Klobuchar would be harder to beat. But I'm also an honest interpreter of the candidates. And I'm telling you that Klobuchar is a more reasonable, also her politics are more middle of the road, leftist, but more towards the center than people like Elizabeth Warren, who literally wants to spend more money on health care than exists. So, hey, lefties, do, keep doing what you're doing is my advice. 
keep electing candidates in the primary that can't get elected in the general. I love it. I think Biden would be the easiest to beat. I think Warren's going to be harder to beat. But I think Klobuchar would be even harder to beat. But she's also the one who comes off sounding reasonable, still leftist, don't like the policies, but sounds reasonable, sounds like a human being, is not snarky, is not sarcastic, doesn't know better, doesn't call you a deplorable, doesn't tell you that you're an idiot for not agreeing with her, all along, like Elizabeth Warren, who went and abused the very race-based system that she helped create, claiming to be helping minorities. Oh, wait, I can't take one of those minority-dedicated seats for myself by calling myself an American Indian? Well, I just did! I just did. That's the thing. They're hypocrites. They're hypocrites. They're snarky. They're insulting. And they're liars. So you decide. Well, it sounds like we're going to go to break. And after the break, we're going to play some good audio clips. show i am rob steinbuck filling in for dave this friday afternoon russ where's my audio where's me where's the guy screaming to acdc going rob steinbuck rob steinbuck that's what i want to know i can't do it can't do it <laughs> I'd, uh, i didn't have it in my voice anymore was that, that you was, i was so much younger when i did that originally i didn't know that was you no, i never did oh uh, huh i didn't do it. oh you didn't do it you see russ is pulling my leg here Russ, Russ, Russ is giving me grief because I made him uh, put together 85 audio clips in the last seven minutes. So he's a little punchy as a consequence. Russ, in a moment, we're going to go to clip 15. Folks, I had told you before the break why I actually think it would be better to run against Joe Biden for Donald Trump than it would be to run against Elizabeth Warren. But don't take my word for it. Take Joe Biden's word for it. What I think is important is we focus on why it's so important to remove this man from office. On the 17th, look, the fact that George Washington worried on the first time he spoke after being elected president, that what we had to worry about is foreign interference in our election. 
hundreds and thousands of innocent people between there and the and the Iraqi border. And lastly, and I apologize for going up, but lastly, because guess what? Why in God's name should someone who's clipping coupons in the stock market make in fact? The fact is, everybody's right about the fact that the fourth industrial revolution is costing jobs. It is. The fact is also corporate greed. If they're going back and not investing in their employees, excuse me, in terms of foreign policy. And the fact of the matter is, I've never seen a time, and I've spent thousands of hours in the Situation Room, I've spent many hours on the ground in those very places. What is happening in Iraq is going to be, I mean, excuse me, in Afghanistan, as well as all the way over to Syria. Folks, the fact of the matter is, is that the fact of the matter is that the fact of the matter is that the fact of the matter. Wait, what? Wait, what? That's what I'm talking about. That's a whole bag of Joe Biden crazy. Russ, could you make heads or tails of that? No, man, yeah. it sounded like a really bad edit. Yeah, but the problem is you could hear the edit breaks. Those were not the problems. The problems was when he was talking, not the, not the breaks. It was the talking. It was a bunch of gibberish. You know, sometimes they say when people don't articulate well, they have marbles in their mouth. This guy's got marbles in his head. I don't know what's going on there. I really, Russ, I really don't think that it's just a coincidence that Obama. Yeah, did you forget about the fact that if you have marbles in your head, yeah. you're actually really doing well? Oh, is that right? If you've lost a few marbles, ah, then you're not doing so well. So maybe, maybe I no lost a few marbles at all. There you go. He ain't got no marbles. They're coming out of his mouth. Is the problem? <laughs> I don't think it's an accident that Obama has said word nothing about Joe Biden. I understand where Obama would want to stay back a little bit so as to not prejudice the primary and so he can endorse whoever wins the Democratic primary against Trump. But nothing, nothing, not a peep, not a word, not a joint lunch together, not a photo op, nothing. And yet he comes out and he endorses the prime minister of Canada, who, by the way, showed up many times in blackface. Apparently, it's OK when the prime minister of Canada does that. Um, Obama endorsed him. But he has said word zero about Joe with or without marbles Biden. Explain that to me. I don't think there is an explanation. Well, I think there is. A, let me be fair. There is an explanation. Who knows him better? Who knows Joe Biden better than Barack Obama? Maybe nobody. And he hasn't said word one about Joe Biden. That's why I want Joe Biden to get the nomination. So we can listen to more clips like the one we just played. It's pure entertainment. And there's no way he can win. And I want Donald Trump to win. Donald Trump, who said, for example, about the embassy in Israel, we're going to move it to Jerusalem, and then actually did it. He had the temerity to follow through on his promise. And all these lefties who claim to be pro-Israel and pro-democracy, well, we can't do that. we got to get something from them. Get something from them? How about democracy? That's what we get from Israel in the Middle East. The only democratic nation in the Middle East. That's what we get. Western values. That, oh, are you allowed to say that, Russ? I don't know. Hey, no, you're not allowed to pick and choose amongst me. I'm choosing. I'm choosing Western values. 
That's the problem here. So, but he's not going to win the primary. Warren, I think, is going to win the primary. Warren, who won't tell you whether or not she's going to raise taxes. Russ, why don't we, why don't we play a clip on that? Let's see. Uh, let's go to clip 13 if we can. She was annoyed um, uh, yep, because yep. she came under attack, and she was under she came under a lot of attack uh, for the Medicare for all um, on the Medicare for all question and the question of would she raise taxes? And she has a formula that she sticks to. She says costs will go down for the middle class. She will not say that taxes will go up, but other costs will come down, as as Bernie Sanders says. She just won't go there, and she was pummeled for it. Well, there you have it, right? But it's not only the MSNBC panelists criticizing her. Her own people, her own lefties are piling on. Russ, let's take a listen to clip 12 in which our good buddy Beto, with his staccato talking style, piles on. And I wish that she would just come out and say it one way or the other. Did you know that she would not answer the question when you brought it up the way you did on the stage? I've known that in the past she has refused to answer the question. And I just think on something as fundamentally important as health care, for all the reasons she cares about it and that I care about it and that we all care about it, we've we've really got to level with the American people about how we will accomplish universal, guaranteed, high-quality care. And one of the differences between our two plans is in hers, you're forced to leave your private insurance and go to Medicare. You don't lose insurance. You're just going to be forced to go to Medicare. And in mine, we're going to have universal care. But those who have a plan that works for them and their families, members of unions who fought and negotiated for those plans are able to keep them if they work for them. And uh, we're going to level with people. We will not raise taxes on any family that makes $250,000 or less in this country. Well, there you have it, right? Beto actually sounded fairly reasonable in that Commentary. Maybe he's listening to this show, Russ. What do you think? When I'm criticizing the odd way in which he speaks, he sounds like, you know, the character from Aliens when the monster's push, punching through his stomach. That's how I think Beto talks. He, it's, he's just on the precipice of having an alien punch through his stomach. Maybe he's listening to us. What do you think? In any event, so you think, well, with all the criticism piled on Warren, maybe Joe is going to win. No. No. Let's take a listen to clip 11. Saw Buttigieg trying to get there. You saw Klobuchar trying to get there. We need somebody to, have, to really have this debate the right way. You've got to have two real heavyweights on both sides. Look, you know, Biden didn't do as badly as he has done. I still feel the air is coming out of Biden. I just don't see it. And so there is an opportunity. The air coming out of Biden? He's like, he's like a pool flotation device that the dog bit into. He's sinking like a rock. Again, it's not up to me to choose the Democratic nominee. I'm voting for Donald Trump. I'm not, I, 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 and I don't vote in the Democratic primary. So I have no interest in picking them. But I think Biden would be an easier candidate to beat than Warren. Because Warren is a liar. I think we've established that Biden is one one marble too few, one marble too many. Russ, you'll have to teach that to me one day. I'm not good enough to understand that at this moment. One marble too few. There you go. There you go. Probably more like 125 marbles too few. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably right. 
So the other thing is that we're talking about Joe Biden and the Democrats keep telling us, oh, well, no, there's nothing to see there. Nothing to see there relative to his son. There's not a problem. But, and as I discussed in the first segment, first or second segment, that's not true. We know there's something to investigate. Now, we don't know what the outcome of the investigation is, but we know that there's something to investigate. But let's hear how biased the mainstream media is. Let's go to clip nine. President Trump has falsely accused your son of doing something wrong while serving on a company board in Ukraine. I want to point out there's no evidence of wrongdoing by either one of you. My son did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. I carried out the policy of the United States government in rooting out corruption in in Ukraine. But I wanted to make a point about it. My, my son's statement speaks for itself. What we have to do now is focus on Donald Trump. He's going after me because he knows if I get if I get the nomination, I will beat him like a drum. Bring it on, baby. Bring it on. That's the beauty of it. Well, my he's doing it. Go ahead. Nothing wrong. Exactly. I- did nothing wrong. Yeah, it's Robot Biden. We've got Robot Biden repeating back the loaded question of Anderson Cooper. Well, there's no evidence that you or Sean did anything wrong. Well, actually, there is evidence. We can't confirm whether there was actual prohibited behavior occurring at this juncture, but there's no evidence that anything wrong happened How can you make that claim, Anderson? How can you make that claim when we know that Joe Biden took his son over to the Ukraine at the same time that he was threatening the Ukrainian president, his son is is getting a job for $50,000 a month. Nothing to see here. Now, how is that not the media in the bag for the leftists? They would make the same. They didn't make the same statement about Trump when we were dealing with the Russia investigation. Not once did I hear Anderson Cooper say, well, so far, no one substantiated any claims against the president regarding Russia collusion. Not once. And indeed, that's exactly what the Mueller report confirmed. No collusion. There's no dispute about that. Even the liberals will concede that point. They go on about the obstruction, and we've talked about that on this show before. But regarding the Russia, well, guess what? Nothing there. Schiff said, oh, it's hiding in plain sight. I have the evidence. You're going to see it. What happened to it, Schiff? What happened to it? So now he moves on. Oh, well, now it's a Ukrainian. Oh, yeah, it's hiding. And so what we're going to do is have secret hearings. Wait, I thought you wanted to bring this out to the public. Well, that didn't work last time. So this time we'll do it all in secret and then we'll say, oh, we can't tell you why. But, yeah, well, unfortunately, we got to we got to push forward on impeachment. Good luck during an election year, no less. Good luck. I'm utterly convinced that will inure to the benefit of the president. These people have been planning this impeachment since the president was elected. I'm not the first to discuss the fact that in the Washington Post, the day after the election, there was an article about, well, we got to impeach this guy. 
The president all along has said, look, I'm an outsider. I'm challenging the norms. I'm challenging the establishment. Hillary is not only a leftist, she's establishment. And guess what? There are Republicans who are more interested in establishment than they are in conservative values. What happens? Every four years, they they fight over the position and they usually switch no later than every eight years. And so they go to a think tank for several years and then they come back and they work in government for several years. All ways that they can sap the public of their money and never serving the public. Listen, you don't have to agree with President Trump. You don't have to like his policies. You could not want the embassy to have been moved from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem in Israel. Omar doesn't want it moved. Talib didn't want it moved. Anti-Israel folks don't want it moved to Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. So it's fair to say, well, I don't want to vote for President Trump because I don't believe in the things that he's doing. But that's not what so many people on the left and the right are concerned about. They're concerned about the fact that he's not part of the old guard. He's not part of the establishment. That's, and they feel threatened by that. This is, this is the irony. The left is now tripping over themselves to outleft each other and criticize the president. And, and, and in doing so, by the way, they want to, Upset the apple cart. We're going to bring in fundamental change to the government. And what do they criticize the president for? Well, he he violates the norms. What norms are, are, are he violating? I can tell you. Not going along with the establishment. So the left, that's anti-establishment, criticizes the president for being anti-establishment. Let's go back to our buddy Beto when it comes to guns. Because I said in the last clip, he actually... Didn't sound quite so much like he had an alien popping out of his stomach. Let's see how he sounds in clip six. may not be popular in all circles, but it's necessary to save lives. I I understand that that's your aspiration. And I I think that the question was, and then what? And then what's next? Because it sounds like confiscation. And I just can't tell if if you're comfortable with that. You know that that's a buzzword that makes a lot of people on the right and gun owners nervous. And so if that's what you're suggesting... No, I'm not suggesting that. And and I think that's why people use the word confiscation, because it scares people. What I'm talking about is is a mandatory buyback where Americans who own an AR-15 or an AK-47 will sell that weapon back to the government. And there is precedent for doing this in other parts of the world successfully uh, without infringing upon our fellow Americans' Second Amendment rights to own a firearm that they need for self-defense in their home or to go hunting or for collection or sport. We can take those weapons that pose a mortal risk to our fellow Americans, instruments of terror that have terrorized our fellow Americans and for as long as they are out there, strike, strike terror in the hearts of so many, including people going to school right now who are participating in active shooter drills because we still have these weapons out there. Let's do something about it. Uh, We've got to absorb that, Russ. Let's take a break and then we'll come back and I think you and I will talk about that. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave on this Friday afternoon. We've got a few minutes only before we go to the news break at the bottom of the hour. Russ, we just heard that clip 
from Beto, your good buddy. I know that you two go hunting, etc., cetera, uh, often on the weekends. And he was complaining about the mortal risk of AR-15s. What's your thought on that? Um, every gun has a mortal risk because every gun can kill you. It doesn't matter if it's a Derringer twenty two or a pea shooter. It can kill you if used in the wrong way. Indeed. And moreover, the irony is, as we talked about earlier this afternoon, the guns that he would more seem to favor what he calls deer hunting rifles, which, by the way, are variants of the rifles used by the military in World War II and before. Those rifles are more powerful. They are 30 caliber rifles. That's why you can use them to take down a deer and you can't use them, or or rather you can't do that generally with an AR-15 or an M-16 or an M-4. So the irony is, as is often the case, when you hear leftists giving you ideas about policy changes, they don't think about the alternatives. The alternative that Beto is arguing for is either people who have guns that shoot smaller caliber bullets should replace those guns with larger caliber bullets. And all in all, larger caliber bullets are more deadly, as the description would suggest. Or he's actually trying to trick you into reducing the availability of guns to the population so that fewer people would have guns. Now, you and I both know it's the latter, not the former. So we just heard Beto criticizing Warren for being dishonest, and he's being dishonest. That's the problem here. They're all dishonest. So we're going to go to the news Uh, And then after that, we'll pick up with some more audio clips, I think. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave this Friday afternoon. Russ, why don't we uh, take a listen to, um, hold on, Uh, why don't we take a listen to clip 21. We can listen to Hunter Biden telling us how well qualified he was to serve on that Ukrainian gas company's board. What were your qualifications to be on the board of Burisma? Well, I was vice chairman of the board of Amtrak for five years. I was the chairman of the board of the UN World Food Program. I was a lawyer for Boyce, Schiller, Flexner, one of the most prestigious law firms in the world. You didn't have any extensive knowledge about natural gas or Ukraine itself, though? Uh, No, but I think that I had as much knowledge as anybody else that was on the board, if not more. You see, that's where the questioner was mistaken. He was full of gas. He knew everything about gas. That's all he was, was full of hot air. So did you notice the first two things that he said? He said he was on the board for Amtrak, the semi-private organization that his daddy directed government funding into for years so that he would have a quick way to travel between D.C. and Delaware. Oh, so he got that having nothing to do with his name, right? 
right? That that he just got because he same reason he got the gas company position. That is, he rode a train once when he was a kid. He had a little engineer's cap. He would go hoot hoot out the window of the car. So that's why he was qualified to be on the Amtrak board. And then he was on some board for the UN, some leftist political organization when his father was vice president. That's what I love about these folks. They take one job that they get from cronyism and corruption and they use it as partial leverage coupled with the ongoing cronyism and corruption to to shoehorn their way into another crony, corrupt job title. And then they say, see how well qualified? I had three jobs stemming from cronyism and corruption. I've got to be the most qualified pe- person out there. Hunter Biden, really? Really? That's what, so this is what people are tired of. That's why we're tired of these dynasties. That's why nobody wanted to see Hillary run again. That's why nobody wanted to see Jeb Bush run again. That's it. We've got 350 million. I know they say it's around 335. I'm telling you, it's 350. We've got 350 million people in this country. And we need to pick our next president from a relative of a former president? No. No, we don't. No, we don't. I can't see voting for a relative of a former president to be president. I don't know. Eight generations out, maybe. But a wife, a husband, a father, a mother, a sister, a daughter. No. No, I'm not interested. Three times a young man named Robert Todd was asked to run for president. Three times he was asked to run for president of the United States. Robert Todd said, no, no, no. One Lincoln in the White House in history is enough. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It would be, it would be nice if we could remember history like that. But the difference is... These political dynasty families have no shame. By the way, Hunter Biden gets his job with Amtrak because of cronyism and corruption. He gets his job with the UN because of cronyism and corruption. What do you think, Hillary? Um, Chelsea's any different? Same thing. Same thing. It's all a bunch of cronyism and corruption. So enough is enough. I don't need to see any more of it. I know what it looks like. I know what it smells like. And it smells rotten that's what it does let's see what what else we got in in, in the entertainment barrel russ that we can uh share with dave's good listen you know what here's one for entertainment uh purposes um uh what is this number 19 I think I maybe doesn't make me any better or worse, but maybe the only person who spent extensive time alone with Putin as well as with Erdogan. And Erdogan understands that. You talk about should he stay in or out of NATO. He understands that he's out of NATO, he's in real trouble. But the fact of the matter is we have been unwilling in this administration because we have an erratic, crazy president who knows not a damn thing about foreign policy and operates out of fear for his own reelection. What, think what's happened. The fact of the matter is you have Russia influencing and trying to break up NATO. 
What does the president do? He says, I believe Vladimir Putin. I believe Vladimir Putin. I don't believe our intelligence community. I'm Vladimir no, no, Putin. I'm not. No, 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 But here, look, but here's the deal. Think what that did. He turns around and he questions whether or not he'll keep the sacred commitment of Article 5 for the NATO members. If he is reelected, I promise you, there will be no NATO. Our security will be vastly underrated. Under, we will be in real trouble. And with regard to regime change in Syria, that has not been the policy to change the regime. It has been to make sure that the regime did not wipe out hundreds and thousands of innocent people between there and the and the Iraqi border. And lastly, and I apologize for going up, but lastly, what is happening in Iraq is going to, is a, I mean, excuse me, in Afghanistan, as well as all the way over to Syria. We have ISIS that's going to come here. They are going to, in fact, damage the United States of America. That's why we got involved in the first place and not ceded the whole area to Assad and to the Russians. So, first of all, uh, we've got to unpack that. First of all, there's so much word jumble in there. I don't think it's entirely incoherent, but there's so much word jumble in what Joe Biden has to say. Uh, I, I really wonder if it, it's one of two things or a combination, and I'm not sure. One time, I recall when, when Reagan was, I think, running for re-election, and they over-prepped him. And so they packed him f- filled with information. They had binders of information, and they crammed him, crammed his head full of it. And he had so much information, he would just try to get it all out, and he sounded somewhat incoherent, and it didn't work. So I wonder if that's one of the situations going on here, or... Given the number of years that Biden has been in elected office, it's interminable. Whether he's got so many things he wants to say, uh, coupled with his age, he's unable to manage that information in a in a completely coherent way as he tries to express it. So I don't know if it's which one of those two or maybe another factor is causing this kind of word jumble approach. That wasn't the worst of it. I've heard I've heard worse. We've played worse. But it wasn't terribly um, coherent, I think, to say the least. And then secondly, sort of his discussion of, of the policies. He elides over the fact that much of the problem, not all, but much of the problem in Syria is because his boss and he drew a red line and then ignored it. And I think that's terrible. I think if... The way the international community works is not complicated. It's actually rather basic because many countries are are ruled by dictators, hacks, cronies, despots. And what they understand is simple proclamations and backing it up. So if you say don't do something or we'll react, then you better react. And Obama didn't react when he drew that red line. That's why I'm critical of what President Trump is doing with the Kurds. Stop, or I'll say stop again. Exactly. It's exactly right. And what President Trump has done with the Kurds. You know, he says, well, you know, those Kurds are not necessarily any angels. I never said they were. Here's the thing. We worked with them. We allied ourselves with them. Doesn't mean they're perfect. Doesn't mean we have to back them up. On everything. While it sounds like the music is cueing me out. Is that right? (laughs) 
Um, doesn't mean we need to back them up on, on everything. It just means that we need to be consistent. So if we want to back out, I think that's okay. But we've got to do it in an orderly fashion. So that's my problem. Pulling out in one week is not a good idea. Let's go to break. Stand up filling in for Dave Ellswick on the Dave Ellswick Show. We have here a very special guest of the Dave Ellswick Show, Hannah Webb Howard. Did I get it right? Now, some of you may recall that Hannah, I think Hannah has been on this show with Dave before I was. When did you start appearing on the show? Uh, it wasn't before you. No, you don't think it was before me? Well, it was my first semester of law school, so it's oh, almost okay. exactly a year. You've oh, been on, no, you've been no, on longer, been on longer than, than that. that. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you were part of one of the panels, and that panel kind of got disbanded, and then you got busy at law school, and so you're not on regularly, but Correct. we thought it would be good to bring you back and get some perspective from a conservative in Little Rock uh, who's in law school now, and, and now you are... Maybe we can start with some conservative ideals and ideas uh, going on at law school. You're at the Bowen School of Law. Yes. Uh, I teach at the Bowen School of Law. Uh, you, you're you in my class, amongst others. Unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. Uh, un- undoubtedly true, I assure you. Uh, and you have started a new club at the Bowen Law School, haven't you? I have. So tell us about it. So it's called the Second Amendment Society. I think the name speaks for itself. Other than the fact I'm very adamant about I don't want to be gun nut capital of the school. That's not the intention of school. Of course, if you are a gun nut, come on. We're happy to have you. And I'm sure most people in the group may or may not consider themselves at least gun savvy. But the whole idea of the group is to be a friendship group, I don't know, of fellow gun owners who want to know that they have like-minded people in the school. And if you need a shooting buddy on the weekend to go to the range with, here's a whole group of people. But even further than that, we want to reach out to people and be more educational. If you've never shot a gun before in your life, we want to be the people that you come to. No judgment, the judgment-free zone like Planet Fitness. We'll be a Planet Fitness of gun lovers 
And, and not gun lovers, right? And, and not gun and that's the whole point. We want everyone to feel welcome. We want everyone to come hang out with us. We want to I guess decrease the stigma around, you know, you think these gun people, guns a blazing, you know, three guns on your hip walking around Walmart. Yosemite Sam. And well and that's perfectly fine. If you if you want to do that and that's your jam, by all means do it. It's great. It's not my jam. But if it's yours, that's cool. But we don't want it to be some big intimidating thing, some big, oh, those, those people. We don't want it to be like that. We want it to be, hey, if you really don't know what an AR-15 is, let me show you. And if you want to shoot it, go right ahead. Or, hey, if you don't know, you know, what a Glock is, if you don't know what a Smith & Wesson is, okay, here it is. Here's the differences. You know, here's what a safety is. Here's how it works. Here's why you don't just accidentally go around shooting people with your gun on your hip. And so that's kind of the vibe that we want to put out. And we have gotten an overwhelming response. That's terrific. I've been shocked because, you know, I thought no one was going to be interested. And it was going to be me and my five friends. And we were really going to be considered gun nuts then. But it's been absolutely overwhelming. Overwhelming. And we even had, you know, I was talking with a girl the other day. She looked at me and I kid you not. She said, I am a crazy liberal, but I love guns. Can I please come at least hang out with y'all? And I said, you sure can. That, I mean, that's the whole point. I mean, that's the that's the best response I think I've gotten so far. And there have been several people, you know, contact me and be like, hey, you know, I couldn't come to your meeting because we had an interest meeting. I couldn't come to your meeting, but I'm really interested. Could you send me more information? Or, hey, I really want to join her. Hey, let me at least know when your next event is. People that I'm fairly certain are liberals or at least left-leaning Never in one million years would I thought they would ever be interested, and they want to join. And so I'm shocked, but I'm glad. So we'll go from there, I guess. How If if there are any law students or friends thereof listening, how should they get in touch with you if they want to find out more about this club? Email me, text me, mm-hmm. Facebook me, mm-hmm. run me down in the hall, yell at me across the library. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Good. Good. I'm an open book. And I understand uh, you're planning already an event. Why don't you uh, tell the folks about what you're planning? So our first event, we want to be just more social. Um, We're planning it at the gun range in Mayflower, which is, I guess, the closest one for closest one to Little Rock. Um, In the next upcoming weeks and just kind of be like, hey, let's go grab lunch and go shoot or let's go shoot and then grab dinner. And this whole same theme, if you don't have a gun. Come shoot mine. I don't care. Or to an extent. I mean, ammo is expensive. Um, or And if anything, like, make new friends, make new connections. You know, they're, and I'm real big on not being isolated in your political parties. And guns get so associated with Republicans. And at the law school, I mean, Republicans are just evil. We're the evil. We're the evil ones. And you should be very ashamed of yourself if you're, I mean, seriously, you keep it to yourself. You just, you have your little group of friends who believe the way you do and you hang out together and you talk together and you have your own little group chats, but you do not express it in the public forum. And I I assumed that this group would be just the same, if not worse, because I feel like there's even a worse stigma around guns. It's just not been the case. And so if anything, maybe you'll make a friend across the aisle. And if the only thing you can agree on is that you both have a Glock. Great, even even better in my opinion. So, do you think that um, conservatives amongst the student body are are still in the minority as compared to the general population in Arkansas? Oh yes, yeah, 
Absolutely. Well, and see, so it's different. So I lived in small town Arkansas. I'm kind of. I'm from Paragold. Mm-hmm. Kind of? What it, sort of a mid-sized small town? What is it? That's a great way to put it, yeah. actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, Paragold probably is going to have 30,000 people mm-hmm. the next census. Mm-hmm. But if you go to Walmart, you're going to see 10 people you know. That's mm-hmm. that's the vibe. Um, and so everyone in my region, everyone in Jonesboro, very you can openly talk about politics in the Walmart aisle and nobody's going to come, you know, run you down. You can wear your Trump hat. People are people are going to stop and wave and talk to you about how much you love Trump. I mean, that that's just the vibe. Your vote for Dan Sullivan and not John Cooper hat. Now, yes. Now, of course, you know. Yes, I'm Dan Sullivan till the end. He's who's not. Of course, who's not. Not all of Jonesboro feels that way, and I that's know. very shocking to me. It's a problem, and that's a whole another. Oh, we're going to talk that's about a, right, and but um, that's a whole another conversation. Mm-hmm. And so, but uh, the conservative vibe overwhelming in the majority mm-hmm. and then you come to Little Rock and your Walmart trips are not necessarily the same and one because I don't know as many people but two I don't think that I could wear my Trump hat around Walmart and get the same response I think you could wear it in Walmart but when you walk out of Walmart you have to take it off well first of all I do grocery pickup so I guess that's a bad example but you get the point mm-hmm. um oh at the law school and see and I say that all my friends are the friends that I hang out with on the weekend, we're all conservative, which I think is just like attracts like. And you just, I guess, naturally gravitate towards people like you. That That's not intentional. I would be happy to have liberal friends. That That's not my issue. We're definitely in the major. Thinking off the top of my head, maybe 10 percent, you know, of my specific class, I would call conservatives. And some people surprise me. Um, well, and, you know, talking about the gun group, I even had a girl tell me, she said, you know, you know I'm pretty conservative. I just can't make myself join the Republican group, but I really want to join the gun group. And that surprised me just because I have no problems joining the Republican group. I am sure. the Republican group. <laughs> I was, I mean, I was a college Republican chair in college and it, it shouldn't have, but that statement kind of took me back. Like, okay. Cause I live in the political world. I mean, you know, this, this is, I care and not everybody does. And a lot of people don't want to care. And they want to care about guns, so that's great with me. But yeah, conservatives are very much a minority at school, and it's and it's not bad. I'm not saying we're hated on or belittled or anything like that. That's not the case. But it does get tiring to maybe not always feel or and it's hard because I mean, of course, law is all policy, and that, those are conversations we have every day. And after a while, it gets really old to only have one side of the story. And even if they don't intend to, even professors that I think are they, I think they try to be neutral, but they believe what they believe, and it's opposite of what I do. And it's going to, you know, weave into your teaching no matter what. And so you never really know, Are you, am I getting the full picture? Am I not? It's just tiring. That's all it is. And you all, and I mean, there's no time to go research it yourself. I mean, of course you can. In a perfect world, you would. In reality, there's no time. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic. Mm-hmm. Let's... Mm-hmm. Let's take a break, Russ. We're going to go to commercial, and then we'll come back and continue talking with Hannah. This is a Dave Ellswick show. I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave on this Friday afternoon, and I have with me Hannah Webb Howard. I always have to pause because I don't know if the Webb comes before the Howard or whatever. But in any event, uh, Hannah, um, the conservative come before the Howard. Yeah, uh, the conservative from uh, Paragould who is now the uh, president of the uh, Bowen 
Second Amendment Society at the Bowen School of Law and uh, is planning an event at the Mayflower Gun Range uh, for all students and, I guess, related folks who want to come. And um, if you want to uh, attend this and you have a Bowen affiliation, get in touch with Hannah through uh, the face post and other similar. What else do you call it? The Insta tweets? Yeah, the Insta tweets and the face posts um, and all of the other important uh, social media platforms that 12 year old uh, girls like to use. So, or everyone else in the world but you. What? <laughs> that may be true. Uh, but I, uh, I am on, uh, um, what is it? Uh, the Twitter. Yeah, but Twitter's kind of the most irrelevant one. That's probably why I'm on it. it. Well, see, and it's funny, and you probably don't want to hear this. Mm -hmm. It's normally like the older political generation that thinks Twitter's cool. There you go. I didn't say it was cool, Well, and and I say that. It was easy to sign up for. It didn't take much work. Yeah, I mean, none of them take much work. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't do much social media. Mm-hmm. I haven't posted on the Insta tweet. The Insta the, post. I haven't. I haven't Instagrammed honestly since my wedding. So it's been yeah. almost a year. Uh-huh. Which after college, it kind of all becomes irrelevant. You right, just right. you you prioritize life a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm turning into one of those old ladies who only get on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So you know that's the stigma. You know, Twitter's kind of the hippier generation. It's a little. Bit, I mean, so I guess you're considered a hippie. I don't know. Hippie. Like yeah. Sixties hippie. We'll go with that. All right. We'll go with that. But it's considered, you know, a little bit trendier. Instagrams for the influencers, sorority girls. And I'm not t- saying anything bad about <laughs> sorority girls. I was a sorority girl. They're great. By the way, folks, for those of you that can't see Hannah, uh, her use of the uh, past tense was, is I think a rather generous uh, descriptor nonetheless. I'm going to not take offense to that yeah. and move on. And there you go. That's a no, good. That's a good choice. So saying that, right? Uh, our first year law student, we were at like a social event, you know, some kind of school social event, and this guy comes up to me in my class and he said, "What's your name?" And I told him my name, and he said, "Okay, I had no idea what your name was, and in my head, I just labeled you Southern Belle." He said, "Every time I talked about you, I don't know the Southern Belle, the Southern Belle," and I didn't know if I should be offended or not. Well, it's essentially the same that as what I just described, is it not? I don't know. Yeah. But I'm just going to act like junior I'm not club. offended. Maybe we'll just call you Junior Club because you're a little bit older. We're going to move on. We're going to move on. We're going to move on. Russ, you know, when uh, Hannah tells you to move on, you know what you should do? Move on. There you go. Uh, <laughs> she tells me sometimes in class, she says, you know, Professor, uh, we've had enough of that topic. That no. is not true. Not true? Not no. true. My mistake. I, I keep my comments to myself in class. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Something yeah. tells me that she's on the right right here right now, Doc. Yeah, I think you're right. And uh, she might keep her comments to herself, but uh, her friends tell me what she's whispering to, to them. So, nonetheless. Isn't it the wise are always the slowest to speak? Hold on. Let me think about that before I say anything. <laughs> um, so, uh, tell us. What what is sort of going on in uh, tell us about what's going on at law school in general? I think people are interested in hearing what it's like to be in law school. Overwhelming Mm. is the best way that I could describe it. So for reference, I have a biology degree from college 
biology pre-med. And I don't say that to be like, oh, I have such an elite degree. That's not what I mean. That's not what I say. It was just rigorous. And so, you know, in college, I had to study. It was complex material. And so law school isn't necessarily harder material than what my undergrad was. And so that's not necessarily been the adjustment. And surprisingly, the law is very similar. It parallels science um, because you have a role, a law, and just like a you know medical principle or scientific principle, whatever, and you apply it to your facts at hand. So it's interesting how they parallel. So that wasn't the big transition for me. The hardest part of law school is the workload and the you know the reading load and the not necessarily homework because I don't guess you have homework in law school, but just well you do though you, don't you you do I, so you have homework in the form of okay you have to read for class every day and it, you actually do it's not one it's not an optional thing which of course you can choose not to read but then when you get cold called on, in class well then it's just it's not it's not a good thing you always got to read for class and so. so before finals, you make these things called outlines, which are basically your own study guide of everything you've covered in class. It's like, you I mean, of course, you can't get too detailed because there's no way, but it's almost a highlight reel of everything you need to go for the final. And so at some point in the semester, you shift to, okay, well, I need to read and I need to start outlining. And now as a 2L, you know, of course, our first L year, you don't have to, you sign a contract saying that you won't work. Um, and now your two year we work. And so it's the workload that's the worst part. And for and it's not necessarily a bad thing. You're learning good lessons. I mean, it's not to say attorney's workload isn't terrible. Um, but that that's, in my opinion, the worst part of law school. People may not agree with me. Um, and so and now we're at time of the semester. So the other day, you know, of course, we had Justice Wood filling in one of our classes and she said she used to be a professor at the school and she always said October is the worst time of year because all the law students are frantic because they know law, uh, finals are coming up. They're not nearly prepared enough and class still goes on. So we're in the October frenzy. It's the best way to put it. So we're at that. We're at the transition in the semester where everything starts to pile on and the weight of the semester is on your shoulders. And oh, my gosh, I'm behind. So that's where we're at. And that's the life of a law student. It's actually very interesting to hear that perspective because, of course, I was a law student, you know, at one time and uh, it was different. We didn't work generally during the year and that's a big difference. And I'm concerned about that workload that you face. Uh, And it's, you know, I suspect law school has also changed somewhat. And I went to a different school, a different environment. So it's, it's very interesting to hear the perspective. Dave and I talk a lot about academia in general and the leftist bent in academia. And you mentioned earlier that your perception is that most faculty are liberal. Um, How how do you think that the faculty does at trying to be objective in their in their training? Right. Look, I, I, I suspect the answer is and certainly nationally the answer is some do it well and some don't all right i mean that's exactly the case so again my undergrad biology we had no we had there was no reason to ever talk about politics and biology every single professor i ever had either you know like slammed republicans and 
when Trump was running for president and then after he was elected, every single teacher I had in law school. No, it, this is in my oh, undergrad. undergrad. Every, okay. in biology. So completely irrelevant yeah. to politics or anything. Right. Slam Trump in some way, form, or fashion. I had wow. one compare him to Stalin, Russia. In a biology class. In biology class. That's so inappropriate. And then during, it was after class, you know, you have you, like a group of us sitting around talking to a professor or whatever. And we were talking about people too stupid and other stupid, which mm-hmm. is a terrible conversation to have, mm-hmm. but we were having it nonetheless. And she looked at me, she said, oh yeah, like all the people who voted for Trump. Oh my goodness. And I was like, yes ma'am. Shaking oh, my head. I mean, because you know, these people goodness. grade your papers. Yes ma'am. Right, yes, whatever you say. Yes ma'am. And so law schools, and I think people in law school may have, or professors in law school may have a more heightened, I need to be neutral because, I mean, you know, the law is the policy, the whole nine yards. I mean, you understand mm-hmm. it's so much mm-hmm. more connected, but it just happens. And, and I don't say that critically because I know if I was a professor. This is a Dave Ellswick show. I am Robert Steinbeck filling in for Dave, although I saw him lurking around Little Rock earlier to, uh, today. We have with us uh, Hannah Webb Howard, uh, a law student, president of the Second Amendment Society at the Bowen School of Law. Recently joining us here in the studio, Chris Corbett, who I have been pushing to run uh, for the open seat uh, in Conway uh, State Senate when Jason Rapert uh, runs for lieutenant governor. So that's not this coming election, but the following election. And um, Chris is starting, at least, to entertain that idea. Chris, you know, in fact, didn't you go speak with, uh, what was it, the Tea Party group up there? In, I did. In Conway? You, first of all, thanks for having me on, Rob. Well, what a wonderful treat to be here on Friday afternoon in front of two smart people like this. It's fantastic. Well, and it has nothing to do with the fact that you promised me a steak dinner after the show. <laughs> really, I assure you, there's no correlation. Quid pro quo. Yeah, no quid pro quo. No quid pro quo. That's right. You see, when I said to you that I want you to make me a steak dinner and hire my son to be on a board, it's got nothing to do. Well, anyway. Poof, um, you're a steak dinner. What's that? Poof, you're at steak dinner. Exactly. Nice. Exactly. I missed the earlier part of the show. I'm what? Sure that Wait, tied what? right in. Wait, what? Directly. I'm sure, yeah, trust me, it's, uh, the only place it tied into is inside my head. Nobody in the audience has any idea what I'm talking about. Flattery never gets you anywhere, right? Exactly. So you met with uh, up there in um, uh, a the Conway. Tea Party. Yeah, but what's no, it? It's the, it's the county. What's the name of the county? Faulkner County. Far, right. you Faulkner were, County Tea Party. Faulkner County it's Tea Party. It's fantastic. Yeah, so tell me about it. What it, was a, it was a tough group. Those far left folks were not. <laughs> exactly. They did not there were a bunch of lefties in that tea party. <laughs> it, was, it was a wonderful group. Yeah. And um, we talked about uh, fiscal we're responsibility. Joking, folks. Right. Yeah, we're, that's a joke. It was a fantastic group of people. They're dedicated. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, they're talking about fiscal responsibility. Yeah, we're talking about less taxes. Exactly, we're talking about um, you know less intrusion into your life from the government. Well, you, you're you're uh, amongst several things. You're you're a lawyer, uh, and we know that because you do Dave's show as yes. Ask the Lawyer. Right, but also uh, you're an engineer. Yes, and you help run a family business. Uh, ABC Block. That's correct. ABC uh, Block Company. Nine right. locations across the state. <laughs> <laughs> you can leave Dave a 20 spot on there the counter go. for that, there right? That's right. But but I raise that not not for the free advertisement, but to, to highlight the fact that you every day are managing a budget. 
Absolutely. I mean, I'm not even talking about your household budget. I'm right. talking, you are managing a business budget in what you do. I've come to your office and yes. you're signing checks. You're you're involved in the, in the finances of the business. How important is that for someone who's going to be in government? And I want to tie it in because I think there's a real synergy here. Mm-hmm. The, there's the synergy of running a business and being a lawyer. Now, I don't think every right. legislator needs to be a lawyer. I really don't. In fact, if they were all a lawyer, all lawyers, I think that's a problem because it becomes a little too insular. Right. But I think, on balance, I like when people have a law degree. Now, I have a bias. I will right. concede. But I like when they have a law degree because I've worked with a lot of legislators, both lawyers and non-lawyers. Right. And the good ones who are non-lawyers come up to me and say, listen, Rob, I'm dealing with both with lawyers in the legislature and lobbyists who are lawyers, and they tell me stuff that doesn't sound right. I'm a fairly smart guy or girl, and it doesn't sound right, but I need your help to make sure that I'm right. And I got to tell you, 99.9% of the time, they're right, and the other lawyer is trying to snowball them, is trying to BS them. So I think you... If you run for office, you have a real advantage being a lawyer because you you internalize that ability to say to somebody, I'm sorry, that's clever, but it's not true. <laughs> Great example, Robin. And I can give you numerous instances. Uh, for example, uh, today I was in Sling County filing a lien for ABC Block Company. And, and you get you get business questions slash legal questions you know and not giving too much away and um, um, any kind of client privilege but um, there's always questions about employment law um, we've got someone hurt what do we do does family medical leave act apply oh gosh you know so they're they look these questions are um, the answers can have serious legal consequences for a small business owner and um, as you well know the small business owners out there you well you wear several hats if the trash needs taken out you grab the trash um, and um, but having a law degree, huge advantage um, to especially a small company. And um, you know, there's other there's solo firms out there that offer um, legal services for small businesses. Um, simple stuff, corporate filings. Don't miss your corporate filings. If you're, for example, I'll give you a great example. If you if you're an LLC owner and you don't pay that annual filing fee in May, you 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 lose your limited liability. If you don't pay it in May and you sign a contract on May 2nd, I've litigated this, I've won it, then you're personally liable. Even though though you renewed it come June 1st, it doesn't go retroactively. Anything you personally are signed as an LLC, you don't get that limited liability coverage. That little small nuance is not something you're going to pick up in a book. And that and that synergy, Chris, between that knowledge and the knowledge that you have helping to run uh, the block company, I think would be really valuable. And this is me on air kind of trying to still convince you to run for office. And I know that you're leaning that way. I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not like Sisyphus pushing the rock up the hill. (laughs) Um, But uh, I I think that's a a really good synergy. We know already, by the way, we, we can tell folks there are two other people that we've heard of already interested in running for that spot. Right. Um, and I'm not going to mention who they are, but um, uh, they, they, they're they not lawyers. Right. They're uh, not. But, right. And, and the citizens of Conway and Faulkner County right. in that district are going to have a, uh, some good choices. Right. If I run. Right. And, um, you know, you mentioned Sisyphus. What a, what a great analogy. It brings such a, such a visual 
um, of a little man pushing a stone up a road. That's that's what these small businesses are dealing with when they're when they get in there and try to comply with government regulations. And when I say comply with government regulations, I'm talking about a small business owner walking into a government office and wanting to do something. And then that bureau hack, as you call them, behind the counter, making stuff up. Literally, like, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. That's not what the law says. Hold up. But is that guy that's not a lawyer going to be able to push back? Exactly. No, probably not. Exactly. So they need that law degree really comes in handy. That's exactly right. And, and um, I think it would be critical, for, particularly for someone from Conway, uh, because that's the city where we have a lot of residents who work in Little Rock, work in yeah. the capital. Um, you know, we just had a guest walk into the studio, of course, uh, Chris. Who needs a law degree? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who's not necessary to have a law degree. We've got too many lawyers now. Too many now. lawyers already. Shakespeare was right. Exactly. Kill the lawyers first. That's right. You know why they said kill the lawyers first? Because the quickest way to get to a dictatorship is to go through the That's lawyers. That's exactly right. That's why. That's, That's why a great he said point. that. That would exactly. be a whole show worth of that. Let's go down to Venezuela and see what they did. Exactly. How'd that work Ooh. out for them? Yeah. Now, now Dave. Worked were, well in Cambodia. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they, they took him out to the rice fields. They yeah. shot him in the back of the That's head. That's exactly what they did. That's oh, right. They call man. that re-education. Oh, man. You know, get re-educated with a bullet yeah. through the head. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But they want to take away your rifles, right? We, Dave, I was telling uh, Chris that Hannah, of course, who has been a frequent guest of yours. She's um, one of my favorite people I right know there. it. How, how can she that not be? I haven't seen you in a while. That's a compliment. It's Especially compared to his little country club analogy oh, he yeah. made she, over she's here. She's a little junior club. Don't you think she looks a little I, junior club? I, can I say that the, the view in here has improved somewhat? But she's got a, she has a Second Amendment group now. That's very cool. She's the Good president. Good job. She's Thank the president. You. This was her. This was her making. She's the president of the Bowen Second Amendment Society. She she conscripted some half baked mediocre academic to be the advisor. <laughs> I don't know who that is, but uh, well, we could talk about that at another time. I mean, good luck with that real, one. Real second rate guy. Let me tell you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What what did uh, the president say about uh, Nancy? Third third rate or third, third rate politician? Rate politician. Yeah. she didn't like this. So no, oddly enough, oddly yeah. enough. Really was, but she's she's been going around, Hannah, um, soliciting people to join the club. You've uh, been stirring it up. She's again, been stirring. Well, no, she's been. I, I really haven't. No, she's been. She, this is where the junior league comes in handy, notwithstanding her claim to the contrary. That is, she <laughs> is. She's got that friendly Southern. Are you allowed to say that? I think so. Well, southern, I am friendly, and I, I am southern. southern. Right, but my point is, you're not allowed to label people Bless like your that. Little right? heart. Bless your heart. Um, <laughs> the friendly Southern yes. uh, um, uh, uh, attitude that she has from the mid-sized small-town Paragould, and she uh, is going around, and she's got a, a couple of dozen people already Good. interested in this club. Good. And that's roughly 24 more than I thought she'd get. That's you great. See, that's how that math works, by the way. There, Hannah. This yeah, little, I got job. it. I got yeah. it. it it's job. been overwhelming. First of all, you're just you just have to be nice, regardless of where you're from. You just treat people nice. Wait, what? You New Yorker? Wait, what? Wait, what? No, huh? Listen. What? What is that word? By the way, how many syllables in the word nice? I'm just Several. Curious. Exactly. Yeah. Probably exactly. three. Three or four. Three or four. In power gold, it's three or four. You got to be nice. <laughs> That's right. Listen, I lived in a world when you walked into Walmart, if you did not smile or say hi to everyone you passed, your mom would slap you in the back of the head and tell you to be nice to people. And it's just translated over to you just genuinely be nice to people. I don't shop at Walmart anymore. 
Why? Because they pick my doing away with up. the guns or something like that? Yeah, well, yeah. they're working with Bloomberg. Why do I want to shop oh. somewhere where they work with Bloomberg? It's really remarkable. Let's write a letter to McMillan up there. Who's um, McMillan? He's the CEO. Of oh, is that right? Yeah, I think he's, he's a liberal. McMillan now. McMillan. This dude must not. I'm he makes telling, twenty million a year. Do you not sure. think that he's not liberal? Oh, well, for, well, you know what? If, if Sam like were a alive, liberal is as liberal does. If Sam was alive, punch him in the face. Oh like that. man, that's what I think would happen. Seriously, yeah, yeah. seriously. Well, Dave, we're gonna. Uh, Hannah is organizing uh, that the Second Amendment Society is going to go. I'm to, proud of. Her. Yeah, I, I really am. I really am. Well, thank you. Guys. She's 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 doing a great job, uh, and she's um, she has the ability to communicate to folks and express exactly the the key tenant of the Second Amendment Society, which is we don't only want you if you are pro-Second Amendment, if you own a gun, if you are a, a strong conservative. Anybody should come. Come listen. Come learn. That's okay. You can walk away and say, you know what? I don't like guns. Most people, when they learn about guns, right. in fact, when they handle a gun, they right. find out it doesn't bite you when exactly. you have it. They uh, tend to change your viewpoint. That's exactly right. Dave, I had a girl, she sits behind me in class. Uh, you know, when the group was starting up, she said, now, Hannah? I'm a liberal, but I love guns. I'll probably come shoot with y'all. Good for her. Yeah, that's exactly right. Good for right. her, so there's there's hope for that liberal. There's hope. There's, there's hope, hope for her. Rob, I can hear the pundits already. You're training these students to be killers. <laughs> She's training me! Let me, let, me, let me remind everybody that his opinions are his and his alone and not necessarily those of the Bowen School of Law or UAL. You know, I not only do I appreciate that, how embarrassed am I that, that you haven't said I it. haven't said it yet. I know show. because I've been listening. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, who's that sitting in my chair screaming in the microphone? Exactly. The one and only Dave Ellswick. That's right. Man, I had a great time. That's yesterday. great. You know what? Let's Incredible. do this. Let's take a quick break if we can get the attention of the folks in the booth. And then when we come back, we're going to hear from Dave about his trip to Dallas. Oh, that was fun. Yeah. This is a Dave Ellswick show, and I am Robert Steinbuck. Yes, he is. Exactly, for Dave Ellswick. But Dave Ellswick is in the studio. Did you tell me you were going to shave your head? Uh, so that I could look like you? So you look like me. Uh, I, I think you may have dreamt that. Right? I, I think we need to come up with a good bet for that. Yeah. That'd be well, nice. Chris, did you shave your head or did somebody shave it for you? Oh, number three. Yeah. Oh, I think number three. Nature. Yeah, exactly. Nature, Chris, nature shaved his That's head, exactly right? Exactly. Mother Nature took care of it. That's exactly the way it works. That's exactly right. It was right. a great time yesterday. Yeah, tell us about Dallas, please. We I got, heard you with we Eric got Trump. It. First, let me tell you a story that'll blow your mind. I show up in Dallas. We're going to have a room with the Apple. What was the name of the place? Is, is, <laughs> the booth is empty. They it's left empty. it. It was the Apple Theory or something like that. Is a place we're going to stay at. We we follow GPS to where this place is at. We get there. There is no <laughs> hotel. No <laughs> motel sitting there. None. Zip. Nada. And uh, so I called Hotels.com, who I make all of my reservations through. And they said, well, let us call and find Mr. Ellsworth and find out where they're at. They called. They said, well, we've got Samantha on the line, and she'll talk to you. So I get on the line. I go, Samantha, where's the boat? And she said, well, Mr. Ellswick, uh, you know, you have to go to the 7-Eleven, and there's a lockbox in the back, and you can find your keys there. And I said, well, what to about, what? why can't I get to go to the front desk? There is no front desk. 
It's like a virtual hotel. Are the are the rooms and virtual as well? No, or do uh, they exist? evidently, what we could figure out. This is a scam. I'm yeah. just telling. Do not ever go use this particular place because I complained to Hotels.com to get my money back mm-hmm. for me. Anyway, yeah, it doesn't exist. So what is it? The, the back room of some. Some Seven Eleven or have, something. Yeah, well, the, it was supposed there was supposed to be a drop box, right? And the then back what do you do the there? And you're supposed to be able to pick up your keys. Then they there. throw you in the back of a, and of then a Chevy. You, and then we would go to this office building, and people were renting out their apartments. You can't do that. That's, oh, that's against hilarious. the law. That's hilarious. All right, so you we were supposed to be staying in people's apartments. Problem was there was no drop box at the Seven Eleven. Oh my goodness! That's so hilarious. anyway. Uh, Hotels.com trying to get me about $600 back. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be very interesting. Uh, They thought they would get all this money from me for, you know, small fees and all of that. Right, right. But I got on my phone and locked my debit card. Oh, good for you. Debit card or credit card? Debit. Oh. So nobody, they can't get into it. That's That's good. good. That's good. But but the, I I have no idea how they operate, but I hope they're good about those things because they get taken too because they have some copies says we're a hotel here's some rooms they're like all right and then they list it and it turns out the whole thing's a scam. They're gonna lose. Yeah. Uh, I think I had the funny feeling that hotels.com is gonna lose gonna about lose some money six hundred and seventy five dollars mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. sixty two cents mm-hmm. <laughs> about give or not take. counting. Yeah, right, give I'm it, not counting. Give or take a nickel. Yeah, as far as that, no, it was great. Yeah, uh, yeah. What's funny is that we got there. And I sent. I put some pictures up, and there were forty, about forty-five thousand people in front of the uh, American Airlines Center uh, there downtown Dallas, waiting to get in. Now only about twenty-six thousand are going to get in to see the president. Right, the right. rest going to be outside. So they put these huge boards up out there, video boards, so people will be able to see it that night. When we come, I didn't go to the uh, to the rally. Uh, as we're coming back, we went to a place called Bob's Chop Shop. By the way, great place to Ooh, eat. That sounds good. Oh, it was good. I had a fillet, nine ounce fillet. Oh, nice. Um, that was awesome. And we're coming back, and we're we're walking back towards the American uh, Airlines Center, and you could just hear these thousands of people. USA, USA. <laughs> No, no, David, it was fantastic. For your listeners' benefit, that there, it's not an airport. You're at a, you're at a convention center. Yeah, that's a, a big stadium. place. That's where the the the, the uh, was it uh, the the Dallas uh, Mavericks playing. Yes. So, so that place and was, Trump filled it up. It was packed. Oh, it sounds like it, we was, got... it was packed. Canyon walked in. Senator Canyon, wow. Texas. He walked. Cornyn. Cornyn. Is yeah. that how he pronounces yeah. his name? Yeah, he's an engineer. He Cornyn. walks Cornyn. in, and, John and this is what he does. He walks in, and you go back and watch it on YouTube. Yeah. He looks around. He goes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm he surprised he didn't swallow three or four flies. Right. Right. I mean, he's looking around. He His never, mouth is open. Those guys get up in Washington. They never come out of Washington. Right. They're in their little bubbles up there, and they don't understand how popular President Trump really nice. is. Mm-hmm. Nice. He well, is hugely popular. They watch CNN. There's not that many people there at all. No. Yeah. Yeah. It was incredible. Did you hear Beto had his own thing? Oh, no. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, he had about 4,500 people show up. <laughs> He probably had four or five. And they believed that he was his. They even believed he was Hispanic and not Irish. As I've said on your show many times, Dave, and I said uh, earlier in the show, uh, watching Beto talk is like watching the character from Alien. 
because I expect <laughs> that that monster to pop out of his stomach any any moment because he's always gyrating and herky jerky in his speech. And then every time his sentence is going to end, he picks up and starts the next sentence so that you can't interrupt him. Shut up already! Yeah, <laughs> he's too much. Yeah. That's a great. That's Total Recall, original Arnold Schwarzenegger's original movie. That's a great movie. What's Total Recall? Well, the alien's going to pop out of his belly. No, well, no, but I mean alien. when the alien really pops out. Oh, that real alien. Not that alien. No, no. Yeah, oh. I'm talking the movie yeah. Alien, where not the, the subversive alien. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> movie buff over here. Exactly. Exactly. And trying to lead the uh, overthrow of Mars. That's right. That's it. That's you right. remember it well. That's a good movie. movie. Great. That's a classic good they movie. Remade. They remade it. And it it wasn't as good. It sucked. It wasn't yeah, as good. It was terrible. No. Oh. It was really, really bad. Uh, what was? Who was it that played in that one? I forget. The that. original one, Sharon Stone was in. Oh yeah, she was kick ass. Yes. Except <laughs> that Schwarzenegger took her out with a punch to the face. He did. He did not I'm not sure you can do that anymore in the movies. I, I probably would not be a she, good idea. Yeah. Just, yeah. just, yeah. just saying. Just saying. Hannah, Hannah, you know, you, you listen to these two old guys talking. I'm not one of them. I'm, I'm sure. young and hip. Oh, yeah. Uh, she's rolling. You know, if audience could see Hannah now, her eyes just rolled so far back in her head. Yeah. It's like the exorcist. He's young. Um, I'm younger. Right. I guess I, yeah, those yeah. are new glasses, aren't they? Dave, you are one of the very few people in the whole world who has noticed this, and you don't even see me every day. I commented on the glasses, didn't I? You did not. Oh, my goodness. He did no such thing. He did no such thing. She's got the tortoise shell. Right. It looks really good. That's exactly what they're... Good job, Dave. Mm-hmm. It looks good. Thank you. Your, your wife appreciates when she gets her hair done. She has you trained. I do notice. She, she's gotten her hair done a couple times and he didn't notice. And now he does. And that's yeah. what it is. He you notices gave me everything a whole story now. about the glasses had to match the cheeks and something like that. Uh huh. But I didn't own the glasses oh. at that moment. See, uh-huh. what those glasses do, it narrows her face. That's the whole good. thing. For the viewers who do not see my apparently picture perfect story yeah, girl face. That's right now. That's true. I have very large cheeks, and they're a fact of life. It happens. You don't. I don't hate them. You just learn to love them. Yeah. And so when you buy things like glasses, you have to be very conscious of you got to slim the cheeks down. And so there's an art to it. It worked. Thank you. It worked. Thank you. Well, you know that they um, uh, to to get into the junior league. That's it. The junior, <laughs> the the junior league. Right. Oh, the you see now oh, he's got my. you in a pageant. He just he mentioned it. Oh boy. Oh, boy. I'm glad that music is playing now before Hannah comes back at us. <laughs> that time. They're going to get it during the break. Guys, I'm going home. All right. All right. Well, it, it, we uh, really enjoyed your little pop. It's fun. Yep. Yep. It and was fun. It's it's fun to get around, hang around with 50,000 people think like you do. It's amazing. It's amazing. Exactly. Exactly. Why don't you just come over to, the, to uh, any college and you can... Uh, hang out with people that think just like you do. They think exactly like I don't think. There you go. <laughs> hey, you, you coming Monday? I am. I'll see you then. I'll see you then as well. Are we going to break now, my friend? All right. Well, we'll wrap it up for this hour. we got one more hour on the Dave Ellswick Show.
is the Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbach filling in for Dave Ellswick. Unfortunately, Dave has left the studio along with Elvis. So we are left alone at our own devices. I have Hannah Webb Howard, conservative law student, president of the Bowen Second Amendment Society, planning a shootout at, well, that's probably that's not the right way to phrase it. That's not the right word. word. Is that not? No, that's I got the wrong. Uh, going to the target range. Classic firearm training. The classic fire. See, that's why you need a There's lawyer. There's the PC correctness. See, exactly. That's why he's running for office and I'm doing radio. Um, <laughs> uh, going to, uh, what? what is it? The Mayflower. Um, uh, beautiful range. Yeah. There. It's a, a public range. range. Yeah. So Crystal here's the range, funny thing. Yeah. So, you know, I'm basing this whole group on education, gun education. You know, right. come on, come on, let's right. learn. Unless I go shoot before this event, which I probably should so that I don't embarrass myself, mm-hmm. it'll be my first time I'd ever shoot at a range. Oh, and my. here's why. So what are you, you plinking cans Paribolt, at home? Listen, I learned how to shoot a handgun off the back deck. Dad set up a little post nice. in the backyard with... Nice. Dr. Pepper cans. I mean, I'll never forget. It's like Opie. What's that? What, what oh, was that show with Opie? Say, I thought you were going to say with the corn feeder out there. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to have to leave my porch to harvest some deer meat. Well, we don't have <laughs> oh to, technically. Oh, my god! <laughs> wait, you wait, what? My dad has killed one of the deer that are mounted on our wall in the basement in our backyard. Yes. I mean, that's just, and that's just a reality. And that, that's not uncommon for a paracle thing. Because we live just outside city limits. We have a couple Chris, acres of land. Chris went hunting with his brother, who's a real hunter. The I'm brothers. a hunter, so don't say it like I'm not. I'm a hunter. No, not you. I know, I'm th- but I'm saying you're... Chris is not a hunter. Because oh. let me tell you why Chris is not a hunter. Chris calls himself a hunter. Don't get me wrong. Is the female <laughs> the only hunter in this room right now? Yes, because I'm not a hunter. I'm a fisher, because Chris has taken me fishing. And, uh, oh, that's right. Who got the big fish that day, Chris? Robert did get the big there fish. You go. I owe uh, him five bucks. Th- that's right. Um, and... But Chris claims to be a hunter. He went with his brother, who's a big deer hunter. And uh, Chris shot three deer, each the size of a of a squirrel. <laughs> right? What was it? What, two chipmunks and a, it was and, a, and, a and a beagle. Baby, right? it was the size of a German shepherd. A German shepherd. <laughs> no spots. Right? Yeah, no, it, like the spots started to fade. No. I feed the ones with the spots. I have the spots. I have the deer with the spots in yeah. my backyard, and I live in Little Rock, and I feed them corn. Well, now, you, is that legal? The, to feed them? Yeah. Yes. Are you sure? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is. Well, now, and your listeners will understand, I did not get hooked on deer hunting. My brother did. Right. So he incrementally made it harder on himself. He went to bow. Right. Oh, wait. Crossbow. Right. And he killed a deer. He went to compound bow and killed a deer. Then he went to the something with a ball and musket. You jam the what? bullet down in there. And what? What is he, guys, Rambo? He's going to go out no, with a knife and just no, slice the no, neck no, of the deer? There, and there's hundreds of deer. I think the, I think the Arkansas residents... Uh, the deer hunting licensed deer hunters is the third largest standing army in the world. <laughs> but he made it. Hard. I've got my deer tags. Yeah. He, uh, we're going to shoot. Somebody. I'm not shooting any deer. Oh. <laughs> well. So my my grandparents own. They moved out there now. They live in their little plot of land, and it's you know a b- big portion of hunting ground. And I'm an only child. Surprise, surprise. You see, I could have never, never guessed that, that about you. Lands it all. Oh boy. Boy, the whole Junior League thing is coming into focus now. Moving on. (laughs) So, I didn't have a boy, so I just did boy things. I played with Hot Wheels. We went hunting. Mm -hmm. And so, I killed my first year. I don't know, seven, eight, Mm -hmm. nine. How big was it? Was it bigger than the chipmunk that Chris shot? 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got to blame my brother, Brian Corbett, for that. Yeah, yeah. It's mounted on our wall. I have okay, a deer nice. mount, not at my house. Does it have horns, or did you shoot well, yeah. it, though? Yeah. I have shot a doe. Yeah. I didn't like it. Bothered yeah. me. Don't know yeah. why. What? For whatever reason. I don't shoot. I don't shoot the does. I don't shoot the fawns. And I don't shoot the bucks. <laughs> now, if you go with my brother, Brian, right? You got if it's brown, it's down. That, that's not true. Brian, le- Brian lets the chipmunks walk by, and you're shooting them well, as, they're, as they're passing him. He's advanced. I'm like, Brian, you let what walk by? Oh, he's a good four point. He walked by. I let him walk by. I, I, I didn't want to clean him. Mm-hmm. I'm like, shoot it. What do you mean? I didn't see anything on my deer stand. I said, you put me on the wrong deer stand. It's not. It ain't right, is what I'm saying. <laughs> So, uh, are you going to integrate hunting into the Second Amendment Society? Yeah. You might. I mean, we should, I have, a, we we should have a cook, we should have a cookout. At Dove. sponsored by you. Dove. Oh, I was sponsored. Dove meat, deer meat. Yeah, that's a good idea. We can you. get the uh, corporate law firm to duck, sponsor it. Duck meat, duck poppers. Those are good. Oh, I'm, I'm not a duck hunter because I'm a, I refuse man. to be in the water in 20 degrees. Because lo and behold, I would have the hole in my waders. I'm not no, doing it. That my is husband rough. does. I that don't is do rough. If I, if I get up early in the morning, it's got to be what are we shooting or what are we catching? Chris came to my house, and I have those morning doves uh, come to my uh, porch, <laughs> and they land, and I have a bird feeder out back, and he's eyeing them up. He's like, well, you see, you, you rip out the breast meat, and you wrap it in bacon. Those are my pets. <laughs> He wants to shoot my pets. Just but like the deer. Each half of the exactly. dove fits perfectly in half of a jalapeno. Oh, my gosh. Fill it full of cream cheese, wrap it in Corsi's bacon. Corsi's bacon. What? At that point, you don't even need to fill it with anything. You could fill it with ground beef. You wouldn't know the difference. <laughs> Killing a poor a little, little dove. Put a little butter on it, a little bacon grease, and some cream. You're good to go. That in the angioplasty sounds like a perfect meal. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't have to talk about that. I think my cholesterol is high. You think? Maybe a little bit. You think? <laughs> uh, Chris's cholesterol is like the temperature in Arkansas in August. It just keeps going up and up oh, and up. Oh, man. Oh, man. Anyway. So tell us more Digress. about your conservative views uh, in academia. You were telling us earlier that when you were in college, that your professors were railing against the Trump election. We, I've seen, I saw that in academia, um, from you know, from my perspective uh, around the country. I saw academics losing it on all these listservs when Trump got elected, and I do think this is a problem of academics. And Chris and I have talked about this on the air, and what, it's what I call the um, what is it, the the, the paradox of education, Ooh. and that is that. These lefties in academia across this country, their job is to learn, to research, and to teach. And as a consequence, they become very confident in their ability to solve problems. Because, of course, that's what they're trained to do. But it's one thing to learn how to solve problems. It's another thing to think that you have all the answers. And the leftists too often think they have all of the answers. I was telling some folks recently, I used to believe in some element of paternalism, that is where someone tells someone else what to do, till I realized I'm not the one doing the telling. I'm the one doing the following. (laughs) And I don't like following folks that think they know the right answer when I believe they don't, and invariably, they're a bunch of leftists. Yeah. Because who wants to tell people what to do in this country these days, in government, in academia? 
leftists, Ooh. not conservatives. But Rob, you're, you're very, you're smarter than that, and you do great. At, you're giving them a compliment. I heard you say something the other day that really rung true. You said there's pockets of excellence, right? They're smart people, and it, I said, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're being nice. I mean, po- you're saying pockets of excellence in academia. Yeah, yeah. Man, there might not. You didn't have to say it, but there may not be some other places that you don't agree with. But there's pockets of excellence in academia. But you have to be on guard, right? You have to be extremely on guard. On guard and looking out for that that opinion and know that there may be an agenda behind it and then say, okay, wait a minute. And as and trained as you're going to be Hannah and we are as lawyers, you're trained to thin slice things. You can see when I, when I first started law school, I, I went in as an engineer, I was black and white. I didn't notice. I didn't see the gray area. Now after 16, 17 years of practice, I'm like, Oh, well, how many ways you want to split this egg? So, um, so I was science. So I was biology. So I was very black and white. Oh, you science. And so, so the interesting thing about law school and what you, you know, the hidden agendas, there's more of like a heightened level of, okay, what size is this person on? And so I think they facially try to be more neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my one year, just because, you know, I've completed the whole thing now, there was a couple of professors, like, I know for a fact that I don't agree with them politically, but dang, they were good teachers and they That's were great. neutral and not one Pockets of excellence. Yeah. ever of, yep. filtered in. It's... A, and now knowing what I know, and now that I've, you're not a terrified law student, and you can kind of start to discern some things. Nice. I, I see selective teaching, and not interesting. So it's, it's it's not bias, and right. it's not forcing one agenda down your throat. I'm starting to say, okay, well, yeah, but you really we didn't touch on this thing that I think was really important here, and was a little more conservative, or hey, we didn't mm. talk about this aspect of the opinion. Or, hey, you just took the conservative side of this issue and really made it look nasty and sound nasty and evil and hateful. Because, you know, conservatives are bashed in general because everyone thinks we're racist and we we hate Mm -hmm. everyone but ourselves. And we're just these horrible, awful, you know, social justice rampage. We're terrible. And that I think it's worse almost in law school because a lot of the big major decisions are based on social justice. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that the conservatives opposed it, not for maybe substantive reasons, but more of like, okay, I don't maybe agree with what's going on with a certain issue, but this wasn't the right way to do it. This, you know, you, hey, legislator, this wasn't your job. You totally went out of, you know, your realm of power or, hey, you know, the court speaking of itself, this was not our job to decide it. I've got a great example of that. So it's 1992 when I had kind of my political awakening. It was Rush Limbaugh, Clinton, and Rush Limbaugh was railing on the Democrats about cutting school budget, right? And and basically the the budget for school lunches was going to increase 3%. But the way the Democrats and the left were presenting it was it's only going to there's, there's been a cut. Yeah, because it was only going to increase by 2%. They call that a cut. Yeah. Hold that thought. I want to play a clip, and, oh. and then we're going to have to squeeze in a commercial, And I, because I think it ties into exactly what you're saying. Russ, can you play 22 for us? We are in the fight of our lives. Everything is on the table in 2020. They think so, too, because they think if they lose in 2020, that they're, they're going to have to, the rules are going to be fair, and they're never going to win again. And they're right. If we win in 2020, they're done forever. But it's scary for us, too, because if they win, literally, it could be the end of the world. 
And you see, there it is. The lefties have this view that if conservatives are in power, it's the end of the world. Let's thin slice that for a minute. It's a scare tactic. That's right. right. Like, like you're going to lose your vote? You're going to lose your life. Why? Because you're a racist, you're a homophobe, you're anti-this, you're a misogynist, that. It's every one of the the, uh, characteristics that they can come against you. We're coming up. Let's take a break now. We're going to come back and finish this one. This is the Dave Ellsworth Show. I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave on this Friday afternoon. We have a little over a half an hour left. We've only got a few minutes before the hard break at the bottom of the hour. Uh, But we were talking about... um, constitutional law and we won't get into your class per se hannah but of course the issue that comes up when you study constitutional law amongst other things is the abortion debate and what i and we saw this during the democratic uh, debate recently where some people were saying this is an uh, an assault on women's rights and related terms i'm trying to think what else the the phrasing was and the debate about abortion has always included two competing concerns, and the left seems unwilling to recognize one of them, and the right, I think, at least acknowledges both of them. You can argue that the right doesn't acknowledge the the leftist point as, as much as it should, if you're a leftist, but I think, and let me break those two down, because I'd like to talk about this. I think this is a really a substantive issue, and... The politics on the left, to me, are remarkable in that their unwillingness to have a fulsome discussion. When the left claims conservatives are science deniers, right? We're science deniers when we deal with, amongst other things, uh, climate issues. Oh, well, you're... The fact is, I don't know anything about climate science, and I'm not particularly interested in it. Oh, my gosh, are you not worried about the world coming to an end? Not today. Not not as Steyer said on that quote that we just heard. Well, if the Republicans win, the world's going to come to an end. Yeah, okay. Go with your plaid tie and just uh, retire. Do me a favor. Ask, so, the bank, ask the bankers. Would they loan money yeah, on those houses? That's right. If they thought the world was coming yeah, to an end. Yeah. So here's the simple version of the debate on abortion. Women... Undoubtedly, like all people, men and women alike, have a right to control their bodies. That's true. And by the way, as a conservative, I don't disagree with that, perhaps obviously. Then there's a question about what the woman is carrying when she's pregnant. Right. I like to generally call it a baby, but you can call it whatever you want. Call it a fetus, call it a thing, call it a growth. I don't care what you call it. That item that she's carrying... Is it alive? Is it a human? And does it have any rights? Well, Rob, you're touching right on it because yeah. I think in 1970, right, in Roe v. Wade. 73, that, I think. 73. Yeah. Uh, the fetus or the baby could not exist outside the womb. Now we have technology. That's 2018. We've got technology where that, you know, a baby outside the womb may be able to survive at 20 weeks. That's right. This is technology we didn't have back then. That's right. So if it's able to survive, then it's a baby. Th- then the whole analysis changes, doesn't it? Absolutely. Right, right. And apparently the analysis is once the baby is out on its own, uh, then it's a baby. But 10 minutes before, it's not a baby. Ooh. So it's a, that's what I call science denial. That's what I call make-believe. Now, what you do with all that, I'm not saying it's easy. You know, there's some folks that say, well, it's real easy. No, I'm not saying it's easy. But I'm, I'm unwilling to say a woman's right 
means she controls her body at all times and that we shouldn't even talk about anything else like the baby. Well, I don't know. It seems to me that you can at least have a conversation about that. So well, what about right, what it's one on one? It's like it's like you're you're um, you're driving a bus right down a mountain road and there's a person standing in the road. You're going 60 miles an hour. Do you do you take the, do you take the exit and kill yourself or do you don't swerve and you hit the man in the road? Right, it's one of these kind of law school problems where right. you have a dilemma and uh we got to go. This is the Dave Ellsworth show. I am Robert Steinbeck filling in for Dave on this Friday afternoon. We have our last half hour. We're talking with Chris Corbett, attorney, engineer, uh, businessman at ABC Block, and potential candidate for state senate uh, in Conway when Jason Rapert runs for lieutenant governor. We have uh, Hannah Webb Howard, uh, law student at the Bowen School of Law and president of the Bowen Second Amendment Society. And we were talking about, during the break and before the break, uh, how... What professors do is not generally tell you their political biases, but they focus their questions or their analyses on those areas of the law uh, that tend to align with their views. And we started to talk about abortion, and uh, I said that I think the fundamental flaw of the leftist viewpoint on abortion is an unwillingness to discuss the life of the baby, the fetus, whatever you want to call it. Because I don't care if you call it a fetus, it doesn't make it any less or any more alive, right? You can call it a banana, but that banana's got arms and legs and a head, right? So it's a kind of odd banana. But uh, So call it whatever you want. I saw a, a tweet, by the way, the other day where some doctor, a female doctor, uh, write, wrote something like, um, it's not a baby. You know that because we call it a fetal ultrasound. Wait, so you named the machine after a fetus and therefore everything else is a fetus? And that, by the way, term has some distinction between uh, life and not life? You can call it whatever you want. Oh, that's the liberal way. Right. They it's redefine. All, they make it mushy. That's they it. redefine words that already have longstanding definitions, right? That's exactly oh, right. Man. Oh, you know what? We've Now that you say that, I wasn't going to go to this clip, but hold on. We've redefine the word. Then we can explain it. Then we own it. Then we Name own, it. Then you own it and control it. That's exactly right. Oh, man. Wasn't it Webster Dictionary? Or one of the dictionaries has come out and... They can now be considered a single pronoun because you can identify as a they. Oh, yeah. I'm a they. Didn't you oh, know I'm a they? Oh, come on. Oh, come well, on. Chris weighs almost twice as much as me. Does that oh, make man. you a they? Makes me Does a mister. <laughs> I'm a mister, a sir, and a master. No, wait, I'm a master. Well, he's, he's taller than me, too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's, let's, let's go to clip 14. You're going to love this about controlling speech. Senator Harris, to you, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg says that splitting up big tech companies will make election interference more likely because the companies won't be able to work together to fight it. Could breaking up these companies make the spread of disinformation worse? No, I don't agree with that at all. And serving on the Senate Intelligence Committee, working with Amy Klobuchar on what we need to do to upgrade the elections infrastructure, knowing that Russia needs to be held accountable for the fact that they interfered in the election of the President of the United States, and will attempt to do it again, um, that's that's a ridiculous argument he's making. But I, I do want to also say this. 
What we're talking about is a grave in injustice when rules apply to some but not equally to all, and in particular when the rules that apply to the powerless don't apply to the powerful. And so, Senator Warren, I just want to say that I was surprised to hear that you did not agree with me that on this subject of what should be the rules around corporate responsibility for these big tech companies, when I called on Twitter to suspend Donald Trump's uh, account, that you did not agree, and I would, I would urge you to join me, because here we have Donald Trump, who has 65 million Twitter followers. Censor and is using that platform as the President of the United States to openly intimidate witnesses, to threaten witnesses, to obstruct justice. And he and his account should be taken down. We saw in El Paso that that shooter in his manifesto was informed by how Donald Trump uses that platform. And this is a matter of corporate responsibility. Twitter should be held accountable and shut down that site. It is a matter of safety and corporate accountability. Thank you. Senator Warren, you can respond. So, look, I don't just want to push Donald Trump off Twitter. I want to push him out of the White House. That's our job. So join but me, the way, join but me the, in saying that his Twitter account figure, should be shut down. No, let's figure out. No. Why it is that we have had laws on the books for antitrust for over a century and yet for decades now. We've all called on how the big drug companies are calling the shots in Washington, big ag, how uh, the gun industry, big tech. You know, we really need to address the elephant in the room, and that is how campaigns are financed. You can't say your corporate responsibility morning, if it doesn't apply to everyone. I announced this morning that I'm not going to take any money from big tech executives, from Wall Street executives. We've already agreed, Bernie and I, we're not taking any money from big pharma executives. You can't go behind closed doors and take the money of these executives and then turn around and expect that these are the people who are actually finally going to enforce the laws. We need campaign finance rules you, and Senator practices Warren, Senator Harris. You that support you us all. You, you can't. It, is, it does not represent a system of justice to say that the rules will apply differently to different people. This is a matter, you are saying, of holding big tech accountable. Yes. Holding big tech accountable because they have an outsized influence on people's perceptions about issues. And they actually influence behaviors. We all have to agree this is their power. It is immense. Senator so, Klobuchar, so, so let you, me bring you in here. Your response. I'm not finished. And so what I am saying is that it seems to me that you would be able to join me in saying the rule has to apply to Twitter the same way it does to Facebook. Look, I think all of the rules should apply across the board. I don't have a problem with that. So you what I do have Twitter a problem should shut down that account. is that if we're going to talk seriously about breaking up big tech, then we should ask if people are taking money from the big tech executives. If we're going to talk seriously about breaking up big drug companies, we should ask if people are financing their campaigns by taking money from big drug executives. If we are going to talk about Wall Street and having some serious regulation over Wall Street, we should ask if people are funding their campaigns by okay. taking money from those executives. Thank you, so Senator Klobuchar. Let's bring you in here. Like to have a different oh, my God.
my gosh, does she drone on or what? Oh, she, well, Let she me is, give you. Yeah. If we're going to take it from A, then we should control A. But if we're going to take it from B, we should control B. If we're going to take it from B. <laughs> well, they do, it's that typical hit them with five issues, and they can't remember them all, so you're going to respond to one. I've got one. Let's talk about the obstruction of justice. Trump has come nowhere near breaking the law on obstruction of justice. This is this is criminal law 101, two elements. But and that's what, and, and, and that's what she's she yeah. her criticism. Harris says, well, I don't like the things that Trump is saying on the Facebook, on the Twitter, on the Instagram, the then Insta post. It. That's uh, it. I, I oh. gave all those examples. I don't for like him. the things that spew out of her mouth. Right. Oh, it she just ban it, her mouth. I, I know. <laughs> she wants to ban. She wants to ban Trump on Twitter. Can I ban her on TV? <laughs> she's, you know, she's a North American whiner. Rob, uh, you know, I got my deer elements. tag. I need, I need a tag for the North American. Oh no, he's gonna. I'm not gonna shoot her. Stop it already. I, tr- I tried to watch the debate. I came up out of my seat. I right. left the room. I turned it off. Right, right. I can't watch this stuff. No, but here's the thing. It's her claim. Quite literally, is I don't like what Trump is saying. Yep. Shut down his ability that's to talk. What she should say, and that stands that's what for what you're mean. saying. Right? That's what she means, right? And that's and if you don't. If I don't like what you say, I should be able to shut you up. That's right. And so you started off by saying the left wants to redefine language yeah. so that they can redefine reality. Yeah. And then part of redefining language is for the language that they can't give a new meaning to. They want to ban it. Yeah. And let's give our let's give Dave Ellswick's uh, listeners some ammo. Right. Obstruction of justice. Right. Two elements. Criminal right. law. One. One intent and an act, mens rea and actus reus, a criminal mind and an action. Has Trump come anywhere close to having intent? Does that mean he can't talk about it? Come on. Well, it's even uh, what? What do you, uh, Joe just, Biden? There, come it, on, come, man. Come on, the fact man. of the matter is, come on, man. But, but, but a lot of the listeners don't know this is basic right. stuff. In order to commit, a, I mean, be guilty of a crime, you have to have a guilty mind. You got to know that something's going on. You got to know there's an investigation going on. You have to have intent and, and threaten them. Obstruction of justice is a threat. Like if you talk to the police, I'm going to fire you. No, we hadn't done anything like that. And then act on it. And that's and, and so the left I'm fired you. The left wants to shut down speech. Oh man. They want to redefine speech and they want to uh, determine uh, that you've committed a crime because they don't like what you've done regardless of what your intentions are and what your actions are. Right. That's doesn't matter. It, it's, such a, it's such a, redef, a redefinition and but if you slow down and you thin slice it, you pick it apart, it it's it's ridiculous it's ridiculous we were we we got off on this slight tangent uh, because it is important when we were talking about the abortion debate uh, and that is the failure of the left to recognize that of course a woman has an interest and we need to discuss the interest of the baby the fetus the banana i say somewhat jokingly regarding a serious topic to say i don't care what you call it and so hannah what were what were your you were going to comment on that uh, before we uh, sort of did a slightly meta-analysis of language. So what's my disclaimer I have to give? I'm a woman of childbearing years, therefore I'm entitled to an opinion, which of course is absurd. It's absurd. absurd. (laughs) I would make the argument, as a woman of childbearing years, there's a third interest that we're missing. I mean, it takes two to make one. I mean, there is a man involved. And, And I used my own personal life as an example. 
let's say that, you know, I found out tomorrow I'm pregnant. Okay, that's super inconvenient for a law student. But the fact of the matter is I'm a married woman, and that is as equally my husband's child, even if I just so happen to carry the baby. If anything, it's a gift as a woman to be able to carry the baby. And it is in no way from our fashion okay for me to be able to run off and kill his child with him having no say, no rights in the matter. That's absurd. That's what a, ridiculous. A, Hannah, what a fantastic feminist viewpoint. You're just taking a stand and saying, hey, the man has half rights. Well, this. and I want to be like super clear that that's, that doesn't change that fi- if we were 18 and not married. That does wow. not change. A refreshing view. Well, and... And, of course, how conservative of me to feel like there's this thing called personal responsibility. <laughs> and granted, don't get me wrong, I understand that it's so much easier for a man to walk away from a girl that he's not that, you know, he's knocked up because right. she's stuck with it for nine months. He can disappear into the Netherlands. I get that. Either way, you both made a choice. Decisions have yeah. consequences. Every single decision you make has either a good consequence or a bad consequence, but it's mm-hmm. a consequence nonetheless. And we've forgotten one this thing called personal responsibility. And two, at the end of the day, it just comes down to the breakdown of the family unit. And and the the whole, so many things that go on in the world lead to the breakdown of the family unit. But yeah. I think abortion, it, it when when a woman aborts a child, I don't care how unemotional you want to make it. Sometimes it's not unemotional. As a woman, I don't it's care. Emotional. I don't care. Yeah. You know, there's women out there who praise, oh, I got an abortion. Your heart doesn't feel that way. I know it doesn't feel that way. There are so many emotions that come with that. You're forever impacted by that. And I don't care what you say. It's not in a good way. And if for what, if the father knows, you, everybody has to live with that forever. And it, it's just so many fun. So many things have happened on the front. end. you know, I, I think the abortion debate comes out of the breakdown of the family unit. And you have to go back to the very beginning of all this. Like you can't fix abortion that's going to automatically fix the family you've got to go back to the basics and we've gotten so far we've gotten so far away from the basics and there's some things that you have to go back down the chain of command for lack of better terms and fix that problem and then we'll fix the next one and then we'll fix the next one people just forget that let's take a break now and we'll finish up our last segment on this Friday evening Dave Ellswick show this is the Dave Ellswick show I'm Robert Steinbeck filling in for Dave Ellswick on this Friday afternoon we've got about seven minutes left to the show I can't believe it Hannah was telling us uh, unsurprisingly uh, a conservative perspective on abortion issues and uh, it's refreshing to hear that and so in these last five or so minutes Hannah I would like to talk with you as a law student in higher education, needless to say, that is overwhelmingly leftist. How do you think you would be able, do you think you're able to make that comment in class? Do you think you're able to have a debate about that? Do you think you would get hissed at? Or do you think it would be perfectly fine? I don't know what the answer is. I can tell you that I've been in contexts in law school environments around the country in which I've heard people make conservative arguments and you hear grumblings and groans and that kind of thing. I heard it once there was a debate about the um, the rate of minorities in prison and some folks were saying well it's discrimination it's uh when they target people i forget what the term oh, that man, is the criminal justice right. system's unjust right um so but and then someone said well maybe the, the, the disparity is a consequence of disparate rates of crime 
Uh, and there was hissing and moaning and groaning when the person said that, even though it's a perfectly plausible theory, albeit a conservative one. So with that as a backdrop, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about how you think your ability to express your views, uh, conservative views, in the academic context is. So I don't necessarily think that I would get hissing or grumblings from my peers. I mean, for the most part, I, of course I'm in the minority. I don't I don't feel like it's a hostile, hateful environment. I don't Good. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure several people would roll their eyes. I'm sure group right. texts would light up all over the and that's fine. And that doesn't bother me. And I don't I don't think that's inappropriate because I'd probably do the same thing if a leftist you know, open their mouth. Whatever. Um, it's funny you say that because I heard the other day, you know, the Second Amendment Society. The only hateful comment I've ever had anyone say about it is apparently some girl rolled her eyes when we made the announcement in class and said, oh, that group is such a sham. Really? And then and, and that's and it. Really? Here's the thing. It surprised me that that yeah. comment was even made because for the most part, I don't I don't feel like I'm in a hostile environment. I don't necessarily. The Second Amendment is a sham. Yeah, yeah. right, right. The Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. It's a sham. It's a sham. Yeah. Think about that for a moment. So who knows? Who knows what she meant? Who knows? Who knows? I don't I don't know. I don't care. Right. It sounds like she meant the Second Amendment's a sham. Yeah. So and this is probably a personal thing. I don't know that I'd necessarily engage a professor in class over Mm -hmm. just because I'm a law student. They're teaching me things. I am right. not about to say that I know way more than them because oh, I don't, fine. and they that's do fine. know students, more on the topic. Right, but stu- but but professors elicit students' responses, right? It's sure. a Socratic method. You're supposed to be talking. Sure. And so, I, and it's probably a personal preference thing, which, again, not that there's conservatives speaking out everywhere in classes, so I don't know if this is how everyone feels or, you know, I don't know. I don't think I would just because I know that we have an arsenal to come back at me and I might not have an answer for them. And so that's just a personal Mm -hmm, preference mm -hmm, thing. mm -hmm. And by all means, I think they would come back at me, not in a hateful way, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but you know, you know, you're always supposed to debate somebody not at their lowest point, but at their strongest point, you're supposed to attack their strongest point first. And I wouldn't be able to do that in that context. And so that's what would stop me from doing it. Not because I necessarily think it'd be hostile though. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it hostile. Good. So, and you know, I don't know if Bowen is unique in the fact that we are in such a conservative state. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that holds professors a little more accountable mm-hmm. re- other than, you know, if we were in New York yep. or something like that. I think that's right. And I so think I it think held it probably Dean Schwartz highly accountable, the previous Dean Schwartz. Well, I, can, I, can I mention that? Well, and so here's an interesting thing. Nearly half of my 2L class is from mm. out of state. Oh, wow. And... So, you know, I would almost say, well, the student body is probably more conservative just being in the South or more conservative right. than another law school would be. I agree. But if 50 percent of us are from out of state, but I don't it, really know how that changes well, the dynamic. But I think they're from out of state in the region. So right. I, think, I think the second largest population, it's a guess, but my guess would be the second lar- largest population is from Texas. I don't know, but I do believe that the second largest exam bar exam that we take is texas so that's why i'm, I'm kind of I'm, I'm suggesting that that probably relates to the the student population it's a guess but it's it's that's, an informed that's probably guess. right i know we right. have several people from texas right. uh, but we do have students as far as alaska oh we and got like 27 State. different nice. states or something yeah. Yeah. yeah yes fantastic yeah several several from um new mexico actually yeah. in Ari- yeah, the like arizona that, area right right Right. And so, I, you know, I don't know if that's puts restraints on the call. It puts restraints as in no one's about to get hostile because it may not be such a disproportionate, you know, conversation. Well, I do think that the student body, I know that the student body 
uh, in a southern school like ours is far more conservative than it was when I uh, went to school in New York City. That was a very liberal uh, student body. Uh, and unlike the student body here um, that has a number of married people, there were only a handful of married folks in my class. That's and those, a southern thing. Right. And they were they were generally the older students who had come back. So the, the students who were shortly out of college or just out of college, I went straight through uh, bachelor's, master's, and, and law degree. Um, people my age were not... Um, uh, um, uh, almost invariably not married, unlike here, where there's a good portion are. So it is a much more conservative environment. And so I do think that you have a much more receptive environment from students. And as a consequence, likely a more receptive environment from professors. And if professors are doing their jobs correctly, and I think many of them do across the nation, and that includes our school, of course, then guess what? You can make your comments. That's it. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com